All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Boombastic Cast. That's right, we got a glorious episode for you uh, this evening. We got a nice guest with you, which is very fantastic. We're welcoming another author to the show, which is always nice, always fantastic times, stuff I love. Alexander, how you doing over there, Hawkman? I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. I know yeah. both of us were almost going to be serial killers, and then we decided to be filmmakers and actors and podcasters and we said you know when you kill it with a nice joke it's just as good as killing them by the throat you know what i mean so with that being said we bring on the professionals you know the great keith Rivera is coming on he's corresponded with uh serial killers for many a moons got to know them as people uh got in their minds um know the whole deal you know what i mean and uh, he's going to share that with us here today. So without any further ado, the author of Serial Killers in Heaven and Victims in Hell, author Keith Rivera. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah. Anytime, man. Anytime. So uh, we want to, well, you know, f- we already had the big introduction in the beginning. So we'll just kind of kick off from where it all started. Like, were you, were you a fan of? like the the serial killer phenomenon before this or before or, or a writer first or uh, the religious, like a religious aspect. Cause I know that you got, you know, like a, a Christian, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It started, I was always involved in some type of prison outreach. Okay. Um, even like 20 years ago, you know, when I became a Christian, the first thing I did um, was jump in some type of prison ministry not knowing what it was about, I was just fascinated with the criminal mind. Yeah. So it was always been like that. And um, just learning, like from my experience in the Philadelphia, South Jersey area, Camden area, a lot of it's drug induced. So I was more fascinated when I met these people in prison. They're just like, I'm talking to me and you, you know, and it was really the drugs that were really making them commit the crime. You know, the, the fuel, the money to buy the drugs or the drugs just warp their minds so much. And then I started getting into the psychology of it, um, where, no, there's this, there's evil people, and they're just people with either a drug addiction or a brain abnormality that is really, you know, causing the psychopathy. And so I started studying the human mind a little bit more um, and really piqued my interest, you know, not to write them yet, but just who are these people? Why do they do what they do? So that was always in there, even um, like, you know, this book, the Seer Kills in Heaven book is really examining can can God change their hearts yeah. from a psychopathy to change life for the positive? Now, it wasn't a book about trying to make anybody Christian. It was just examining, since that's my background, right. people's, they claim to be Christian, which I know a lot are just putting on a show for a parole board. And some seem legit, like, okay, let's examine this a little further. So that was like the premise behind this book. But my fascination, when I started writing to them, I always liked autographs. You know, for my celebrities, I was always just a fanatic about that. For not buying them, but like either meeting them or writing to them and getting something signed back. I have a background. I used to be a professional magician, like magic tricks and stuff, like a street performer kind of deal. So I started writing some magicians that I that I that I liked, the David Blaines, the Chris Angels, and and they all wrote back. I got everybody's loaded autograph out there. Then I started doing celebrity, like professional wrestlers, UFC fighters, actors, magicians. But then it went to actors who play in, in mafia movies. And it, so I was like, I got to get a mobster. Cause I was getting everybody from the Sopranos and some other, you know, 
was like, what if I can get a real mobster? So that's really what triggered it to where you're not going to, most mobsters who you would talk to are in hiding, you know, who even have that. So I tracked down the co-authors of their books. So guys like Larry Maz, I think was the first one. Um, Whitey Bulger's right-hand man, Kevin Weeks. Yeah. I found his co-author. I got a bunch of books signed by him. You know, one of my favorite autographs is by him. He, he wrote, one in the head is better than two in a chest. I'm like, this is great. You know, I got to get to know these guys. <laughs> so then I, from getting a bunch of gangsters, um, Senator Bulgarvano, and we got a Christmas card from him, you know, let alone a signed book. So that's when I thought, what if I could get a serial killer? You know, it's like, it's like my Christian positive sense and like my morbid sense. Like, I got to meet these guys, you know? Yeah. Um, so I wrote to a bunch, Manson, Richard Ramirez. Um, they end up dying before um, I get any response, you know, from them. But Manson really fascinated me. So I started writing people who were associated with him, like Tex Watson, Charles Tex Watson. Yeah. He was my first response. Now I'm a serial killer. I want to necessarily say serial killer, but, you know, close enough. Notorious so, killer, so to speak. Exactly, yeah. And, well, he responded. Now, I didn't realize at the time that he had a Christian background. His, he has a huge Christian ministry. So we made a connection. I still talk to him maybe once a month, one, once every other month. Yeah. So, okay, there's a little connection there. And from that, Bruce Davis, the other Manson family member, probably the majority of the killing, really. Um, you know, the Christian guy he put in the book. And then I just wrote to everybody. Um, you know, David Berkowitz, BTK, anybody you can name. Um, and I know you can't really see from here, but if I just turn, these are just some of my letters. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> so I every day, five or six letters in the mail. So it started out as simple. You know, I like to get autographs and it just kind of progressed and keep, and it's still progressing, you know, from that. So it's a multiple background, you know, from Christian ministry, prison ministry, prison outreach, helping these guys, um, rehabilitate, trying to get back on the feet. Can you rehabilitate a psychopath? All those things combined, love of autographs kind of got me to where I'm here today. <laughs> yeah, I, I dig that. You know, me and you get a lot in common. We're very unique in the way that, you know, I, I, if I was, if someone was to ask me what my religion would be, it'd be Christian. I mainly have those beliefs. Unfortunately, I, I'm not like as devoted to it. You know what I mean? But like, you know, I try to do the good walk when I can type deal. And, this, and, and the serial stuff, killer stuff's always been super fascinating to me. You know yeah. what I mean? I wonder how much, is it just me and you, or you think there's a big crossover out there? I, well, surprisingly, when I wrote, when I put this book out, I was expecting mostly a Christian audience, yeah. initially. No Christian buys my book. Like, right. <laughs> I think it's almost like taboo to them, not realizing it's all positive. When you look at it, when you right. really take it apart, it's a positive thing. Yes, I'm examining if their faith true or not, but essentially it's a positive, encouraging thing. All my positive reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, they're all true crime fans, which I was not really, I was hoping maybe, you know, a little crossover. Yeah. Um, uh, but they love it. You know, it's surprising. So it's not a preachy book. You know, it's not like I'm talking about you need Jesus. You need the Lord. Right. No, I mean, I have to explain what Christianity is to set a groundwork. You know, so maybe some of that, but it's mostly, you know, examining other people's faith. Yeah. Um, but as far as it's, I mean, we live in a true crime, true crime um, era right now. I mean, everything you see on TV, it's just all over the place. So I think whether it's the religious people, um, sports fan, it's all over the all over the TV. I mean, you can't help. I think everybody's fascinated to some degree about it. Yeah. Um, and I joke the new book I'm just finishing up now. Uh, one of the introduction things I say in the introduction is how many people really root against Jason? Yeah. yeah. Or Leatherface or Freddie or right. you know, you're, you're kind of there's a kind of morbid fascination where you kind of root for him in one aspect of it. So. People are always like, you know, or, or, you know, the 
you know, good gangster movie. You mm-hmm. kind of root for him a little bit, you know, it's just almost like Nacho. I'm not the obviously you root for a serial killer, but that fascination's there. I think yeah. at least a little bit with everybody. Um, now to the extreme that maybe me and you might go is I don't know if you write or talk to anybody to collect anything. Um, that's obviously maybe a little different story, but I think true crime is everywhere right now as far as again, documentaries, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. It's just everywhere. Do you think the fascination is because these people, it's not a good thing, but it's kind of like they, they, they move forward with their fantasy. And I'm not saying everybody has fantasies about doing stuff like this, but the fact that they're, I hate to use the term go getter, so to speak. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. like there's some type of the thing within them, they don't care how foul that it is. They're doing it no matter what. Do you think there's yeah. that fascination with society to that? Oh, there's for sure. I mean, now that my name's out there a little bit more, I get all kind of emails, all kind of DMs and, and messages and conversations that I have. You have one extreme to where um, they think they're a serial killer. They're drinking blood. They're doing everything else, real blood. So there's that level. Yeah. Then I found out most people, like Twitter, I probably, I probably did the most on Twitter, um, I know, maybe like 40,000 followers or something. And a lot of the ones that profess like the love for like the Richard Ramirez's, the, the, uh, the Ted Bundy's, I want to have their children. Mm. They're like 14 year old girls, 15 year old girls. I mean, they don't really know what's about life or anything yet. So there's a lot of that where I think reality hasn't quite set in of what you're talking about, (laughs) that you want to be married to them. They'll kill you, you know, realistically. Um, I see. In true crime, there's two roads I see, pretty two dominant roads, a lot of offshoots. One, the fascination with the serial killers as far as their mental mentality, you know, what, why they do what they do. Uh, so it's with the podcast out there. Um, the other side is kind of like hoping to get away, and the other side is hoping to get caught. Like they watch the documentaries because they're evil people. I hate serial killers. I hate them. I just want to see them get caught, get punished, get tortured, and that's that side. And the other side is more that fascination where I got to know more about them. So I think they're the two main roads. And then kind of like all shoots, you know, the psychologist about it, uh, the criminal psychologist and, and myself. Yeah, I'm fascinated. But I also think it's still kind of cool to get a piece of artwork in the mail from, you know, from you know the Keith Jespersons of the world or the Haddon yeah. Clark. I mean, I mean, I got hundreds and hundreds of pieces. And so I still that. Yeah, I want to help them, want to make change in their lives, make them positive. But there's still a little morbid, you know, curiosity in that. You know, I, I still get chills. I mean, I get a letter from David Berkowitz at BTK. Right. There's, there's certain guys that you don't think about. I get five or six letters a day, but there's still certain people when I see their name on the envelope and they know where I live. You know, it's not the PO yeah. box. Sometimes it's my house. After a while, I get to know them. It's just like, oh, it's, it's a little, it's a little chill you get, I guess, when you get a letter. Yeah. yeah I always wanted like a Gacy painting or like the, the yeah. Charles Manson, like spiders that make out of like the yeah, yeah. paper and stuff like that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now the title, very provocative title, you know, it's a yeah. catcher for sure. You know, Definitely. serial killers and having victims in hell. Mm-hmm. The question marks in there, you know what I mean? That name gra- that grabs people, you. You know what I the mean? Question mark. That's the most important part. Is oh the yeah. Question mark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That changes everything. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you, uh, have you caught heat over that? Like anybody ever give you grief approach you? I mean, it's kind of a, yeah. The title alone, dude, is real heavy. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's what I wanted. You know, sometimes I second guess it, but I think, you know, it was the right move. Um, if you look at especially like a Facebook post and my and my author's page there, let's say a post gets possibly a thousand likes or clicks or something on there, you'll get maybe ten or so 
of just how can you do that? Like kind of like Kate, not knowing what the book's about. They never read it. They don't even understand anything about it. But they sense some type of sympathy for a serial killer. Um, what if they did something to your family? You get a lot of that. Um, then you get some of the religious people who really have don't understand scripture. God will never forgive them. You know, there's that to where it's hard to dialogue with people when there's no equal foundation. Like, for example, if when a Christian says something to me about um, God will never forgive people like that, they're just going to burn in hell. Yeah. All right. Well, what does the Bible actually say? You know, we're all sinners. I mean, we're all deserve hell. If you, if right. from the Christian foundation, we're all going to hell. Right. And I don't care how there's no good outweighs the bad. There's no good people. We're all deserving of hell. I don't care if you're an honorable student or you're a serial killer. You still need forgiveness from God for Jesus. Now, they don't get that. They just think good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, which is also why I wrote the book and put that title there to open up Christian people's eyes or those who claim to be Christian says, no, there are no good people. According again, through the Christian eyes, there are no good people. We all deserve hell. So the point was serial killers in heaven, victims in hell, question markers, basically saying if a serial killer and a person who done horrible things truly gave their heart to God, truly repented, truly changed their lives. Yes. According to scripture, though, in their heaven, their forgiven state or their victims or the victims of the serial killer or somebody who died themselves or a family member, if they haven't repented, no matter even if something horrible like that has happened to you, um, you're not. You know, yeah. you're still living in an unforgiven state. So it's touching multiple people. Christian people that open their eyes on certain what the Bible actually says. You know, if you want to call yourself a Christian, at least believe what the thing says or understand what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, and, of course, shocking title to get true crime people. Oh, what's this book about? Yeah. You know, and to read it. So, yeah, I purposely did it for that reason. But the question marks and person thing, it's not a statement so much as, well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Serial kills could burn in hell and the victims could be in heaven or vice versa, depending on their individual faith. You know, yeah. the very hot topic, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Hot button. You know, you can you get a you get an extreme and your m- most extreme religious person could be far scarier than your most extreme serial killer type person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, 100 um, yeah. percent. Yeah, some craziness. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I like how you tap into it in the book. The book's really good too. I really like the book a lot. You know, you got oh, thank you. like testimonies and, and, and talking about the deal as well as like the scripture and stuff that really ties it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like what you said about the the judging thing was always the one thing like in, in Christianity that I kind of I'm I'm all for it. I mean, the not judging mm-hmm. thing, you know what I mean. But I thought that was one of the biggest hurdles that they really couldn't get over is like the judging thing, how it kind of is there black and white that, you know, that's kind of God's job to, you know, judge people and you got to kind you know, worry about your own deal type thing. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, they are a little quick to judge on that, but it does say, mm-hmm. you know, as far like when I came up in the church, I, I, I doubt it's changed much, but it was one of those things up into your dying breath. If you wholeheartedly ask for forgiveness for what you did, then you'll be forgiven. You know what I mean? No mm-hmm. matter what you no no matter what bad deed you've done, you know what I mean? No, sure. That's why I try to open people's eyes and, and use examples in scripture of you know, that's our first chapters on um Paul from Tarsus or okay. Saul from Tarsus. He wrote most of the New Testament. Yeah. He was an evil bastard, you know, murder. He yeah. killed the first Christian, you know, the first martyr, Stephen. It was Paul who killed him or at his feet in the yeah, Moses was a murderer back in the day. King David was a murderer. So I give some examples of people doing horrible things that we have proof that, you know, at least according to the Bible, they were forgiven anyway. Yeah, so, I, yeah. It, it's it's very, it's it's one of those, it's like, 
it's, it's it'll always be like a hot button thing because it's nobody really truly knows and like it does have that that flip to it because yeah like you know they say you'd be forgiven but there's people that just can't it's that judging thing they yeah. can't look past the evil deeds you know what i mean they can't sure. it uh I, I don't judge it ain't my job you know what i mean and it's understandable I and mean, that's why even in saying the book that mm-hmm. and even the new book that I'm, I'm finishing up now i get it mm-hmm. you know i get when if you look at the circle or anybody who's done something horrible I get when people say, how can you be kind to them? How can you visit a prison? How can you email? How can you uh, reach out to them? And usually my answer is, one, I understand, especially if something happened to you or to a family member. And I've come across a few people like that. It's like, I'm not diminishing the pain that you feel. And I'm not necessarily saying you shouldn't feel that way. Yeah. But I am saying, I think we need people like me who are trying to make encourage them to rehabilitate them because let's say that person's going to get out in 15 20 years who's done a horrible horrible crime and he's moving next door to you what guy do you want moving next door to you after he gets released the person who's rehabilitated because people like me go out and and teach them to reach teach them the right and get them you know just get them on the right path but you want somebody who is twice a murderer you know and going to prisons where you know a big part of my new book is um recidivism you know, most prison is like a punishment model. You know, it's like a 70, over 70% recidivism rate of people that's going to reoffend and keep going back in. So what person do you want moving next to you? Mm. Guy who's twice as evil as he was before he committed, as he's committing the murders? Or yeah. somebody who now has almost a 0% chance of recidivism or repeating the crime because he got educated. You know, he now knows wisdom. He knows love. He knows compassion. Because most of these serial killers, they, most of the one, they just, half of them just want a friend. Yeah. They've never trusted anybody their whole lives. Their parents abuse them. They didn't have parents. They didn't have anybody they can trust. But who could they talk to about urges they have? So they have to keep themselves private. But now the cat's out of the bag. Now you have somebody like, I mean, there's plenty of people like me, but encouraging them and, get, you know, trying to get them, uh, show them what love and compassion is, those who can even feel it, because some of them, because their brain happened to Maui, they can't even feel compassion. They can't feel that empathy. But they can train their brain a little bit to, you know, get rid of those, you know, murderous desires, essentially. So that's kind of the angle that I tell them. Not the angle, but the truth that I tell them is I'm trying to, if they do get released, what person do you want released? Mm. Yeah, at least it opens their minds up a little bit um, by thinking about that. You know, you're not just going to get the monster next to you. You might have somebody who's, you know, changed their lives a little bit. Yeah. You know, you ever, you ever stumble and come across like uh, uh, someone that was just like, I, I, I would like this, don't want to say hopeless, you know what I mean? But somebody mm-hmm. that you thought there was just so much, you know, maybe evil there or negative energy, whatever you want to go with, that there was just no breaking through type deal. You know um, how much you tried. Do you see that Mickey behind me? Yeah. Melting Mickey? That's Keith Jesperson, the smiley face killer. He revels in it. Yeah. There's just some people that, you know, he'll once in a while, if he catches on, usually a girl that he likes on a podcast. Um, it, it, in one aspect, it's, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, what the way he is a funny guy, mm. but he revels in the murders. Um, there, there is no repentance. There is not even a want of it. Um, he's, you know, and he'll do it again more than likely if he got out. Um, so there's some people like that who, um, I wouldn't say has a brain abnormality. He's never been tested. I think he just might be that kind of a guy. You yeah. know, I don't know. He's again, yeah, I don't know how many psychologists ever talked to him. Um, and there's other people. Now, I haven't never talked to a Ted Bundy, Richard Ramirez, and some of these others who, even due to head injury or head trauma or brain abnormalities yeah. where they can't stop. They don't have the ability. 
uh, the, my new book is about, if you ever seen the TV show Signs of a Psychopath? Um, great, great series and focus on a lot of people. Season three, episode one, I believe, is a guy named Yu Masaki, hmm. um, Japanese guy, um, a Spanish guy. Um, it's just called The Story of You. First name is Y-U. But it's a play on the story of you, like Y-O-U is the gist of it. Not just following his crimes and his murder, um, but opening people's eyes to um, brain abnormalities that normal everyday people have damaged, especially the part of the brain called the amygdala, these two little two little guys in, in the brain. If they're damaged, if they're smaller than normal, there is no compassion. There is no fear. Yeah. Um, they don't have a stop button. They don't have a little guardian angel inside you say stop. Uh, where tumors can grow and touch a certain part of the brain where um, I give numerous examples of people live everyday perfect lives and a tumor started growing, pressing against the amygdala, turned into a pedophile, hmm. you know, and he was married and his stepdaughter fooled around her a little bit right before prison. They found they had a tumor because the headaches were real bad. Removed the tumor, lost every urge, any pedophile urge. Went back to his family. Everything's good. Tumor started growing back. His wife started finding, you know, child porn and stuff in his in his in his uh, bag as a school teacher, a superintendent, I think. Or just came back, removed the rest of the tumor, bird is left. And and numerous examples I give. Actually, I open up the book talking about if you ever heard, if you ever in a restaurant or anywhere or watching the news, you ever heard somebody using racial slurs, n bombs, you know, in front of a, a, a African American lady and her child, yeah. real verbal in front of her, and then he punched her in the throat. And she died right there on the spot in front of her children. And I started the book by saying, what is your impressions of this man? Mm. And who knows what evil, you know, racist, this and that. I was like, well, what if he had severe Tourette syndrome? And it's uncontrollable what comes out of his mouth. And usually with severe Tourette syndrome, you're going to say something, a heavy set guy, you're going to say fat. So a black person, you're going to use an N word, uncontrollable. And those spasms mm. just hit their throat by accident because you can't control the spasms. Mm. All right. He's married to an Afro-American woman. Those black people. Right. Is he guilty or not guilty? Right. Yeah, it's like a switch. You know. Now you have no control. He has no control of what comes out of his mouth or hand gestures. You know, and it's it's a yes. There's evil people, but there's situations like that. Or in, in New York, there was a surgeon that many years ago. After delivering a baby, he carved his initials on the stomach of the woman. You know, you're like, what kind of sadistic bastard? Well, he ended up having fixed disease, a form of Alzheimer's, he, uncontrollable, these urges to the point where once they found us out, the woman who was carved up, the doctor, the family, no one wanted to press charges because they knew it wasn't him. It was this brain abnormality that he had. So I'm open up a whole can of worms. I'm going to get all kind of. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's super interesting because you know, mm-hmm. like that tumor thing with the pedophilia is wild. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd much love to that family for like having the love and faith or hopeful, what hopefulness, whatever, to like that you said they let him come back into their life and then it kind of started up again. Yeah. Well, they let him back into his life after the first time. Yeah. And then when it happened again, they still have forgiveness because they knew it was a tumor. Yeah. But the mother, it was her, wasn't his daughter, like stepdaughter. They did divorce because they said, I just can't take the chance of this happening again. It ain't. Yeah. Um, and there's interviews with him. You actually see on YouTube, you can see videos. I mean, their names changed, you know. Um, but no, it's it's amazing. And uh, it's, it's and I give a you know, ton of examples that I give. And then, like, the question, like, um, psychopaths, are they born or are they made? I list numerous studies, especially longitudinal studies, where they follow, you know, a thousand people, a couple hundred people from birth to about 20, 30 years old. Yeah. And we look at a lot of things of what can cause a brain to have an abnormality. Like, I mean, simple thing, like in utero, when a baby's in, in a mother's womb, 
how much cigarettes does she smoke? Well, that's limiting oxygen to the brain. So they did a study. The more that woman smoked, the greater chance that child is going to be a violent offender. Then you mix in alcohol, child with fetal alcohol syndrome. And you read like following children who do and who don't have fetal alcohol syndrome. Okay, there's about a 40% chance now that child's going to be a violent offender or bad nutrition uh, or drugs. You mix all that together. You know, it's an astronomical odds that a child's going to be a violent offender. Um, and that's without any real abnormalities like tumors and amygdalas and, and things like that. Because yeah. um, I want this book to be, you know, the story of you, the last chapter story of YOU. How can we prevent this? What can we do as a nation, as a community, even something tiny as small as like writing, you know, serial killers, you know, encouraging people in prison not to be serial killer, but anybody, or getting nutrition and wisdom in the, you know, mothers and things like that. So we, I look at everything, every aspect of how a child can be a violent offender and what are some of the causes, not just social causes, um, not just I'm an evil prick, you know, I grew up in a gang kind of thing because I, I don't really touch that because that's just kind of common sense. But I look at people, I want this book, the new book to be about don't judge people because they did a horrible crime and think they're evil. Let's look at their parents. Let's look at the, you know, the environment they grew up in. Yeah, maybe it could be an abnormality or, you know, things aren't functioning up top. Not to say they're going to be let go and not guilty. Yeah. Well, maybe not so much a punishment minded. Maybe if we as a society can look back and, and maybe try to help people like this, they wouldn't have ended up like this. So it kind of opened up a whole can of worms, I guess you can say, with as I'm telling the story of you, because this guy, Yumasaki, when I started writing him, he wanted to find out why he did what he did, hmm. why he's like what he's like. In his case, it was more Asperger's autism um, and killing the girl. Or try, she ended up paralyzed for life but she killed the guy that was with her he couldn't have her and so he didn't want anybody else to have her so you know shot her mm. um both asperger's if you know anything about all asperger's syndrome now um autism spectrum disorder i think it's called where they fix it on one thing and they can't turn from that one thing and it, for him it was a woman or having a girl and through a whole bunch of crazy stories end up killing her because he couldn't have her but when you're an autistic child from birth um, he was abused by his father tremendously when he was younger. His mother didn't care. You know, mother was, you know, it was abused by him too. So when you're an autistic child um, and you're physically abused over and over and over again and abused by the, you know, from children's school and was thrown off a balcony at school. Oh, it's amazing. Tremendous story. That's why I decided to write it. Yeah. You can kind of see why the guy went a little nuts. Right. You know? And you can kind of see it. So not that I want to put so much sympathy on him. It's more opening people's eyes to it wasn't just an evil dude. You know, you you raise an autistic kid and beat the hell out of him for all these years, an alcoholic parent, you know, and then see what happens to that your kid. Yeah. So that's kind of the gist of the new book, again, tying into this, too, with the whole psychopathy or just violent criminals. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the serial killers, when you look in their history, their childhood was bad news, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like Charlie, for instance, you know what I mean? You're talking about coming up kind of in the system, in and out of the joint, and that was kind of his deal. Now mm-hmm. I know I know you became friends with you know Tex and Bruce, mm-hmm. but like, um, what's your take on the Charlie thing? Do you think Charlie should have been in jail until he died? Yeah, this is this is the tricky one because I think yeah. the answer is probably if you had to listen to his attorneys, you know, yeah. probably not. Right. You know, because really, what was Charlie? I mean, Charlie didn't do any. I mean, he not killed that he a got pimp, I believe. He, did a, I believe. he did a few things, yeah. but nothing really that he was really charged with. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, telling somebody to commit something is different than committing something. But yeah, um, yeah, I think if you had to listen to his lawyers a little better and was more more cooperative, he would have probably didn't do much. Wouldn't have done much time in prison. And I think legally, yeah. I probably he should never have done that much time. 
Right. Um, now, would he have done something crazy? Like, I don't think he's rehabilitated. It <laughs> would have been rehabilitated. Um, at least not, you know, from what I've known of him, you know, up until he died. Um, so do we let a guy like that back on the streets? Well, legally, you know, maybe there's a good argument for that. Morally, well, he probably did some more damage. <laughs> he got back out there, maybe worse. Well, see, yeah, yeah, the theatrics is what, what did him in, you know what I mean? Oh, of course, of course. But like when you think he is like, you really can't think of anybody else in that world bigger than kind of Charlie. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think they were afraid of that. Like he was a pop culture icon. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. It's very possible he could have got out and he could have started the Church of Charlie or something. You know what yeah. I mean? And actually yeah. been like a legitimate thing. But once your name is like that, even Krumwinkle and, and, and some of the girls, his followers, they haven't done anything violent since they've been arrested. Right. Model citizens, some of them became Christians or religious in there. Um, spokespersons for other women that were in there got paroled. But yet, you know, the leadership in California are like, no, you ain't going anywhere. They overturned it. So yeah. once you open your mouth like Charlie did and then it stopped, now you're affecting the quote unquote rest of your family right. who hasn't opened her mouth at all, but nothing but positive. That little trick of down effect. Now none of them are getting out because your name is now so synonymous with "quote unquote" evil. Mm-hmm. None of you are going to get out of it. I mean, I think one did. What's her name got out? Uh, uh, Squeaky got out. Yeah. Squeaky didn't do time, and she's out there. Um, I think she's remarried and uh, living in California, or she moved somewhere else. I forget. Um, but yeah, but for the most part, yeah, that's. You know, I mean, like, even when uh, like Tex Watson. His Christian ministry is bigger than half the ministries out here in the real world. Right. I mean, same with similar look with Berkowitz and, and, uh, and Davis anyway, but especially Tex Watson. I mean, I'm featured on his website. You know, his, his website's <laughs> massive. I'm, I'm published on there, you yeah. know, so we get along good. He does, I mean, I mean, he can even, he gets let out once in a while. They kind of let him out and do certain things. And so he's, he's let out once in a while, believe it or not. Um, but officially he's, there's no way he's ever going to, you know, the California's going to let him out, even if the parole board says, yeah just never going to happen it's like uh they, they made an example of him so there'll never be another manson family you know what i mean like that that's how that's how it was it's, it is kind of that whole thing's really weird because it's like yeah charlie didn't really you know he was not convicted of doing any murders or anything like that but he definitely took advantage of the situation you know i believe he was feeding them like acid not taking it himself yeah. and just like twisting up their brain and stuff exactly what they're doing yeah so you know what I mean? yeah so like it's you can't really blame them to a degree i mean mm-hmm. at the end of the day you know people have to live with their actions of course but like yeah. it's one gigantic mess the whole thing you know what i mean uh it's definitely definitely a shame I mean, a lot of horrible things came out from it but and it's the time the 60s in general yeah. you know that i mean i mean he's a man i mean not just Charlie. I mean, one aspect, Charlie was a genius mentally because genius of manipulation. Oh, yeah. Imagine if he used that for good. He could yeah. have done some amazing, like the Hitlers of the world. Right. He's a master speaker and a manipulator. You know, it's like you go down two roads. You can be, now, you know, I'm not a biggest Barack Obama fan, but how great of a speaker was he right. and, and led a nation and, and led all kind of people to follow him, quote unquote, you know, in a good way. Yeah. And the Hitler had like the same quality, but for evil. You know, right. so you, you people are talented and geniuses, but you couple two paths, <laughs> you can go right, down. Right. So Charlie, as most serial killers are, are highly, not just highly intelligent, that they might have certain parts of the brain functioning properly, but the part of discerning, they can read you, even with people who write letters. Like I get letters all the time saying, oh, this guy tried to write me. He just wants an autograph. Or he just wants, they can discern through a letter 
Uh, no, they said they're a girl. They even sent a female picture, but I know it's a dude. Yeah. So their discernment level is so high, like a Charlie Manson, where they can, oh, you're a defunctional, from a defunctional home. You need a place to stay. No one's ever loved you before. Let me show you some love. Let me, and take them under a wing. Of course, pump them with all the drugs. That's with LSD, you know, and that's, that's really mind altering for even if without a Charlie Manson, I grew up with <laughs> LSD. So I know exactly, I'm still wearing a Grateful Dead shirt. So I know all about LSD, yeah. you know, but, um, but yeah, it's very, I mean, I went from a total headbanger, Metallica, Iron Maiden fan growing up. Hit acid. Next thing you know, I'm listening to Pink Floyd, The Wall, Grateful Dead, Peace, Love, and Happiness. And yeah. I totally changed my life around back. I'm, we're talking about when I was 14, 15 years old. I was just a kid experimenting, and it changed me with no one even talking to me. Yeah. Now I get a Manson involved, and he was a master manipulator and tweaking your mind with acid. You can form anybody you want who's that who's that formable and who's that vulnerable. Yeah, like somebody like Manson obviously did exactly what he intended to do. You know. If he pursued acting or something like that, he could have, you know, really, really, because he is, he's very charismatic. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll be, he'll, his rants are the greatest. He has to be one of the most entertaining, you know what I mean? True crime figure of all time, because he'll be telling you shit that'll be like truth. Like he'll be telling you like fact about how the world's crazy around you and how you should take care of the earth. And you're like buying into it. You're like, yeah, yeah, you should. And then he's just like, ah, blah, 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 blah. he's doing his faces yeah. and stuff. And it's like, it's a weird yin and a yang. It's like, um, like, uh, you know, films like, uh, like Last House on the Left, the Wes Craven film. It's a horror movie. Are you familiar with that film at all? Uh, the name of, no, I don't know. I haven't it's, seen it. But it I the name. It's, um, it's like an ex, like a horror exploitation movie. And like the magic to it is that he shows these very graphic imagery of rape and murder, but he plays hippie music over it. So like uh, it's very Charlie like you know what I mean. Yeah, so it yeah. like messes with your head. You're because your brain's seeing something and you're you're taking it in, but you're hearing this completely different thing, and it's all you know what I mean. Uh, very much like that. Yeah, Charlie would have been. He would have something would have happened. He would have fell and he would have his own podcast now. He'd be bigger than Joe yeah. Rogan. Yeah, you know I mean? and you think that's really what Charlie did is play. Well, like you said, you, they watered down what was really going on. Yeah. That's what he did because, I mean, he spoke about it and Tex told me about it. Brennan Roy talked to Bruce. Bruce doesn't tell him, won't talk much about that at all. But they would pretend they would, you know, eat bunch of acid and pretend, you know, with music playing in the background of killing people and would you die for me and this whole you know thing he would do. Um, so they would practice that. And so just the joy was testing them and also training them to lessen the blood of everything, yeah. you know, the mess of it. So by doing that, by keeping a nice hippie atmosphere, and practicing it. That's what did the creepy crawlies when they would break into houses and rain yeah. stuff. What was he doing? He was, he was training them to for whatever he had planned initially, you know, the, the, the bigger stuff, but it's very similar to what, what Charlie was doing. Did they, did they both forgive Charlie with it? I know it was Texas more related. Is Bruce religious as well? Yeah. Just, just, just as, as religious. I mean, not ministry yeah. wise, but right, yeah, right. They're, they're both I think, literally legit changed their lives for sure. Um, forgiven him for sure. Um, I mean, Bruce is a little, I want to say a little different where Bruce has done a lot of things. <laughs> uh, Bruce has done a lot of things, a lot of things that he's not even convicted of that right. we all know Bruce has did a lot of things. A true Christian like Lewis Lent, Lewis Lent is a chapter in the book, the pedophile guy. Um, he's writing his own commentary on the Bible. He's one of the, probably the, the main one um in the book where i'm like i don't really know you know yeah. you can you can memorize the bible and not be a christian or any religious book you know and you can write a commentary on it either right. i mean look 
Satan knows the Bible better than all of us. You know, he knows the God closer than all of us. You know, he ain't getting it. But with Lewis, he touched base, and I, I published it in the book. I wasn't sure if I was going to, but I did. And I forget the person's name, but he did touch on on why he molested. Uh, I forget I forget the, the child's name. Tried to have sex with the boy, couldn't. And then I decided to go after a girl, and then he got caught. But he's he did a bunch of crimes, and he still refuses to not only acknowledge, tell where the bodies were, but a true Christian, you really repent. You don't repent of a couple of things right. because you're not worried about the consequences anymore. It's all open and out there in the air, and that's what Texas done. He, he, he convinced everything he confessed to, every little detail of everything. Bruce, there's a lot of things Bruce still you know, has hidden and doesn't even talk about, doesn't bring out to the open, afraid of more charges coming to him. Um, is he in there forever, though? Is Bruce in there? Does he have a yeah, chance? He, yeah, neither. Yeah, so I don't they know why he wouldn't want to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have chances for pro. Like, Texas has been up for pro a lot. I'm not sure when Bruce's next one is going to be. Yeah. So the chance is always there. Right, I guess you know, so. But they said California's not going to let them out. The parole board has paroled numerous Manson family members, but they always said, no, you know, you're not getting, we're going to overturn that and you're going to go back in. So I, with the thought of parole, they're not, you're not going to say nothing. I, I wonder, I wonder if now that Charlie's gone, if they'll be more lenient on letting them out because really, you know, supposedly nothing really bad can happen now. If, if they would have think that that, you know, Charlie still had power over them or something, you know what I mean? I mean, to agree, but from the parole hearings that I've listened to, it's it's more about you were that suggestible back then. Yeah. What makes you not suggestible now? Right. If you came to the, somebody like a Charlie or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, Charlie just opened his mouth too much. You know, it's out there in the world so much, especially in California. And it's there's just no way. I mean, I'll be uh, hopefully. I mean, I would hope that Tex got out. I mean, Tex has been married and has children from prison. You know, he's living a, I would say, a good life, but as close to a good life as you can in prison, you know, all the good that he's done. And he's allowed a lot of special favors um, because they know he's not a a threat to anybody. So Charlie really double burnt them. And first of the crime itself going in and then like just, you know, the big mouth. Some of them went along with the theatrics, of course. I don't, it must have been, they must, in the beginning when they first, I know it was more the girls, I think, were acting crazy, but it could have been some of the dudes, too. But they were acting so crazy. It was like, wow, like how nobody's talking to these people to, like, tell them to behave. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. They say if Troy was got busted and was remorseful, whether he found religion or not, just more of a repentant attitude, that would have been a different story. They said he probably would have got out after X amount of years. Um, But now he's... Went the other way. <laughs> I wonder in the end if Charlie felt that the legend that he left was worth spending the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, I mean, who knows how mentally sane he was? Because some things, like you said, you listen, if you read through the craziness, yeah, a lot of good points yeah, about yeah, society, the craziness of society. You threw away your children, I picked them up and brought them into yeah. a family. There's a lot of truth yeah. to what he said. There's a lot of, you know, crazy lunatic side, too. <laughs> what was the organization he started? Atwa, I think it was. Yeah. You know, tremendous things for the environment. It's still out there running. I mean, done a lot of good things. And and a lot of people don't realize Charlie was loaded. Charlie had more money you can possibly imagine. So he can have anything he wanted in prison. I mean, even like the John Wayne Gacy, he was loaded from yeah. the artwork and everything else that he did. Special privileges and privileges in prison. Many things. Yeah, because he paid off the guards. All that money, you know, that he was making. Give them a couple bucks. It was a little bit of a different time back then. Um, 
so yeah, I think Tar was just, he knew he wasn't getting out, you know, and then he just made the best of it, but he made a lot of connections. And, uh, I mean, even some of the artwork that he gave away, Charlie, you know, said the spiders, the scorpions and all the, the string art that he did and, and other things. But, uh, yeah, people paid him a lot of money for things. So it's the horrible, you know, life in prison for anybody, but right. some of them live better than you think, especially yeah. on, on death row. What people don't realize is that's where you want to be. You don't want to die, right. but you have, but you have it easy on death row. Yeah. I mean, it's like a cakewalk. Your TV is up. You got all kind of good stuff. Um, you're not worrying about gender pop- general population. Right. So if you're on death row, especially in California, it's a cakewalk. They haven't killed anybody in I don't know how long. Yeah, yeah. I've a lot of people in San Quentin on death row. And they love, not that they love it, but if you were in prison, it's like, this is the place to be, death row. And right. way better than, you know, I mean, some people share a cell. But, but a lot of the single-celled ones there, and um, it's much, much better. Uh, to be there than anywhere else. You go a lot more privileges on, on a death row, believe it or not. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, Gacy was an interesting one. I think his last words were like, kiss my ass before they like, yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, I heard that like, uh, they, like if you corresponded with Gacy, he was always bringing up, he always wanted you to tell him sex stories and, and send pictures of you and stuff like that. Now, you know, you never corresponded with Gacy, right? No, no, no. He died before I, uh, I wrote any, uh, wrote anybody. He's a wild uh, one, man. But it was a funny story. I don't, I, I think, I don't know if I put it in my book or not, but in a story on Todd Otto, he was a youth, he was a teenager when he, you know, killed his whole family. Yeah. And for a while, he was housed with Gacy. Oh, really? And, uh, and he was telling me, he, he, he published his book, and I was reading his book one time, and in two sentences, just two sentences, it was like, oh, yes, Gacy was giving me, you know, probably, and I, and I punched him in the face. And he went off to another topic. So I went, so I got back home and wrote him. I was like, dude, you, you can't write two sentences about <laughs> yeah. how you, you were housed with John Wayne Gacy and you're not. So the story was, you know, Gacy, you know, he, he always liked young boys and yeah. Todd was a good looking young boy. It's like when he was, you know, the 18 to 20 year old, you know, younger guy. And he'd always flirt with them and say, Oh, I would do this to you if I wasn't in prison. If you're a young boy, it sounds like, listen, you got to just stop it. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. But he kept pressing on, kept pressing on. Finally, Todd lost it. He says, I've never hit any, anybody so hard in the face before in my life. Not to flat out, got on top and start stomping them, beat the hell out of them. Then guards, you know, came and got them. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta put that in the book. You gotta say something about it. Yeah. But he did tell me some insight, which I found out later definitely to be true. Gacy didn't paint everything. Oh, really? He, he wasn't, I mean, he painted a lot. Most of it was like a paint by number, but yeah. he'd pay other people to do the painting, you know? And, uh, and some guys who are really into his artwork, they, I mean, it's, the cat's out of the bag. Like they already knew. Because I talked to people who collect high end stuff, like AC Pinnett, and go for them 10, 20 grand, some of his artwork. They know, they like, as long as he signed it on the back, you know, it's original from him, that's all we care about. You know, because yeah. he wasn't that great of a painter. You know, right. they would, that's when he would kind of color in the lines and things like that. And he could paint him. There's some things he definitely painted, for sure. I mean, majority of it, but there's times where now it's, he paid somebody else to do it. Yeah. And he told me about, when Todd told me about that, He's like, oh, he's full of crap, and he didn't pay anything. He paid everybody else to do it. So I asked a few people who really collect like heavy hitters. They're like, yeah, we know. It don't matter. As long as he signed it on the back, and the back of the um, uh, the canvas is the, from the paper that says, you know, where the canvas is from. Like it's kind of you know, very detailed, you know, in his artwork um, of what's his and what's fake. A lot of fakes are his too. It's like, no, we don't care. We <laughs> don't care who did it. As long as he signed it, we're good. You know. How much does like an original Gacy go for nowadays? Do you have any idea? Depends what ones, because there's like skulls. Yeah, yeah, there's the pogos, there's the skulls, there's the dwarves, seven dwarves, things like yeah. that. On average, probably between five and ten grand, mm. probably on average. 
I mean, there's a couple ones using certain colors that, you know, they can fetch a heck of a lot more, twenty, forty thousand dollars um, depending on what ones. And um, there's some skulls, you know, with little penises on a skull top. There's yeah, certain yeah, ones yeah. that are worth more than other ones. Yeah. But on average, probably between five and ten grand. And I see people on the auction sites and things like that that I see. I'm not surprised to hear that he kind of got manhandled a little bit and didn't want drama. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, 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 when I, the interviews that I've heard with him and stuff, he, he's very kind of soft-spoken and seems like somebody that doesn't want conflict. And realistically, I think all his victims had to be handcuffed before he did what yeah. he did anyways, right? So yeah. I mean, I could, that tells you something. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't a tough guy. I mean, the one yeah. kid that got away, he handcuffed him, but he was like a I don't know, high school wrestler or something. Yeah. And even handcuffed, he still was beating the crap out of Gacy. You know, and Gacy, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was just playing. And he unhandcuffed yeah. him. He was that close to getting killed. But, you know, you're handcuffed and he can still take him out. So he had to, wasn't that tough of a guy. He just, you know, took advantage of the situation, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you got to correspond with Mark David Chapman. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, I tell you, he... For a period of time, I mean, and even probably still, he's probably got to be one of the most hated people because of how many people love John Lennon. Dude. <laughs> yeah, you know that's why I, mean? I started his chapter. And I was dead serious when I when I wrote it. I'm like, most of my family and friends, they all know I talked to the killer. But you find out that the murder of John Lennon, how the hell could you talk to that scumbag and this and that? They they I got more crap from him than anybody else by far. Yeah, by I saying know. anything positive to him, you know, I'm like, oh my crap. Well, when reading, I always thought he was a fan. And when reading the book, I found he wasn't much of a fan. He was just kind of like lost and wanted yeah. to kind of be famous for something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was, yeah. he was probably only one I really didn't get to know extremely well. Because um, some of the others I still talk to almost, you know, on a weekly or monthly basis. I, you know, I talk to a lot. Um, but he's very, like, I'll get, I won't hear from him for like two weeks. Him is always an email. There's like apps on the phone for prisons like JPay and GTL um, where they can send emails back and forth. Got to kind of prepay, um, send 30 second video clips or pictures and stuff through these apps that they have access to if they have a certain tablet at the facility. So it was just through that communication with him. He doesn't write letters. He doesn't want anybody to sell his stuff. He's, he's a little off. Yeah. I never got a good vibe on him. Um, got too in-depth with him. Um, he refused to do interviews for a long time too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. he would send me, maybe a month goes by without hearing him, and he'd send me like three scriptures out of nowhere or answer a question I said like two months ago. Yeah. So not all together. I mean, he's definitely, I mean, is he a Christian? I mean, everything he said has been positively scripturally sound, biblically sound. Um, remorse, because he wrote a pamphlet. Um, I quoted some of that in there about his repentance and things like that. But I didn't get to know him good enough to know um, whether you're verbally talking to somebody, writing back and forth for a long time. You kind of get a sense right. if somebody's legit or not, or someone's full of crap or not. You call it like the Bible calls it the fruit. Right. Where's the fruit that you're a Christian? Where's all you can say whatever you want, yeah. but let me see what happens when you get angry or somebody says something. Are you, are you quickly to forgive somebody? That kind of thing. I didn't get to know him in that depth or that level to really get a sense one way or another what yeah. his, you know, his in depth was about. Talked to his wife a bunch. She would, you know, she would send me letters and back and forth. Talked to her a little bit. She seemed real sweet. But for him, I wasn't 100% sure. That's why a lot of my book, I kind of leave it open to the reader. Uh, you know, here's all the information. Some people I know right away. Okay, now they're legit. I mean, they're, I, cause I've known them for a while. But other people, you know, like Lewis Nett, like Chapman, didn't really, weren't really sure because I never really get to know him too well. Uh, didn't open up that much to me. Yeah, I know you question him in the book and it's, 
Yeah, I mean, you was, you would assume they would all say that because they're all trying to kind of get favors. So it's kind of really exactly. difficult to read between the lines on that. Yeah. You know I mean? Sometimes it's easier than others. If you're in person, it's easier. I, I kind of equate it to, excuse me, like if you're uh, the difference between a realtor who's selling a house. You read the pamphlet. You read the three pieces of paper. Oh, it has five bedrooms, a basement. Oh, a beautiful this, beautiful that. And you'd give a description of it, like someone who's memorizing the Bible. You know, or and you're like, oh, that person really knows his house. Yeah. But then you talk to somebody who's lived in that house for 20 years. It's a whole, well, it smells like this. The wood creaks over here. It's a whole different explanation. So it's a difference between two is not someone who's not a Christian. Yeah. Any religion, you know, put, you know, fill in any religion you want. Or somebody who really is. So it's it's usually a drastic difference where I can kind of sniff it out or any whatever religion you are. If you're really diehard in that religion, you kind of know somebody's not. Right. You know, you can say all the right things, but yeah, it's like you're just reading the realtor pamphlet of, of what the house says. You know, other than somebody's who's lived in it for that long. Think of somebody who knows Jesus, who's walked with Jesus, or somebody who just read a book about him. Yeah. So there's usually a difference you can kind of tell, but that takes time. It's, it's not always one letter. You know, it's usually thirty letters. You know, you know, 10, 20 phone calls really start getting a vibe of the sincerity of somebody or the insincerity of somebody. Yeah. You know, well, there's a lot like that. I mean, I, I should have waited to push it because I probably had another five or 10 people I could have added to the book. Um, but I wanted to get it out. Uh, but there's people I still talk to where you remember Pamela Smart, the girl who did uh, the teacher, which wasn't a teacher, but the teacher who slept with a student, the yeah. student killed her husband back oh, in the yeah, 80s, yeah. I guess, 80s, late yeah. 80s. Yeah. Talking to her all the time. She's one where, nah, I don't think so. She's right. uh, always, now she's like a chaplain in there, a spokesperson for all the women in there. Oh, no, she's psychotic. She's nothing Jesus about her. Yeah, though she <laughs> might write it. That's when I could see her right through that one. But yeah. it's all for parole. Gotta get parole, gotta get parole, all for the parole board. She has the ear of governors and, and hire people up in, in Congress, uh, yeah. women's rights and all this and that. There ain't nothing remorseful about her. She is stone cold. Stone cold. And I talked to her a lot too. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to, you know, get more Bible in her and really try to get her nothing. Now she'll say the right things, but I go, there ain't a remorseful bone in her cold body, man. Jesus, he's, he's a psychopath, man. I mean, we're laughing. It's sad. I remember laughing about it, but it's, you know, you can't pretend you're one thing, you know, for, for the parole board, which he does. Yeah. And, um, but nah, that's, that's one of them where it's like, no, nah, you got, you, you got to keep reading. <laughs> keep reading. It's like a monster there, Eileen uh, Wernos there. She was hardcore to the end. She's like, she was the mind of Charles Manson in the face of Ted Nugent, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, it, it goes deeper with her, though. Yeah. I mean, because I don't know how much you really know or really looked into her story. Yeah. To where you know, not that she was innocent. You know, she, she'll kill she people, but who did she kill? She killed the people who were trying to hurt her during the trick. You know, during, you know, while they were sleeping, you know, during as she was a prostitute who physically abused her. Um, you know, something's up when a married man is going to court for you on the stand for you. Wife never knew he had sex with her as a prostitute standing up for her. Really? Numerous men came out to spit up her. I know she's the sweetest lady, but the amount of abuse that she had experienced when she was younger, astronomical abuse, again, no excuse. Astronomical abuse to the a degree you can't even imagine of what she went through. Huh. Got to a life of prostitution. That's the only thing she could just trying to make her way. 
Um, talk to her girlfriends, the physical girlfriend she had and friends, most loving, caring woman at all. Certainly mental issues because he's beyond abused, like right. sexually, physically, emotionally, everything. The only people she killed were the guys she was you know, screwing in the car who started getting violent with her. She let some of them go. I remember hearing about that. Oh, some, yeah. yeah. But but she slept with a gazillion guys. Right. And some of them testified on her behalf. I had no idea that they testified on her behalf. That that mm-hmm. warms my heart a little bit. I, I yeah. You know. Now she was stone crazy, but again, sure, yeah. This is where we look at somebody Broke. pure, pure evil. Yeah. Or how did she get that way? Let's could we? Want to, yeah, she's guilty, but who else is guilty? Yeah. How about the people who the family members who physically abused her, and other people who, like beyond abused her sexually? We got to look at some of that too. You know, sometimes the court just says, "Oh, I know plenty of people who are abused, and they're fine." We can't look at it like that. You can't just, you know, you got to really examine it. But yes, a lot of people came to her defense. Um, books have been written about her. Um, Christopher Berry D. Um, he's a very popular true crime author. Kind of got me the bug to do it. He wanted to write a book with me initially. Um, yeah, be a little shady guy. You know, promised a lot. Of, he just wanted all my letters, you know. <laughs> but he, was, he was friends with her. He wrote a book about her. The movie about her, he was consulted on it. Most documentaries, he's the one they talk to you know, in yeah. person about it. He knows it very well. He says the most innocent person you ever met is Aileen Warnars. Uh, I got a bunch of her letters. You know, I just like swap with people so I can have a couple of them. The most loving, kind letters. The greatest penmanship you've ever seen in your life. You know, no sign of craziness in the letters because I, 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 I've seen like, like the the, the last interview she did before they put her like they killed oh, yeah. her. Dude was like it was Charles Manson stuff. It was like yep. I'm going to the moon. To I'm going what in the spaceship with. Uh, Jesus mm-hmm. was coming back for him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it was, it's like sad. It's tragic to see it because seeing that you're like, there's really somebody that, like with issues being killed there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you read the letters, I, I may have a, a bunch of them, but I probably read um, 10, 15 letters. Um, usually just the one person. She didn't read to many people. Just this one friend she had primarily highly intelligent, mm. highly intelligent letters. Very communicative, nothing wonky going on. Um, he joked about the electric chair, always called it Old Sparky. Yeah. Going Old Sparky soon, you know, and uh, so it still had a good sense of humor. Yeah, I've seen interviews where she, you know, she went berserk sometimes, and it is, that, that's her too. It was yeah. both. But when someone is not pressing her, you know, it's more about she would freak out more than when someone's pressing her that she's guilty, you're guilty, you killed, you're a murderer. Well, if you took the other approach where, Man, I'm sorry you went through all that abuse. You know, I understand killing's not right. Of course not, but I get it. Right? So if you take that approach of getting to actually know her as a person, whole different story, a whole different person. Um, it's even like Berkowitz, um, even younger in his life. He kept talking about, yeah, I was talking to a dog and his name was Sam. And this, he just fed into it a little bit. When he got tired of talking about it, so he made up half the stories that are out there just to get people to, you know, to buy into, okay, that's what you want to hear. I'll be this. You know, Sam's not a dog. Sam is Sam hand. You know, Sam is right. the devil's name kind of a thing. So it's it took a lot of different paths. And he's, he fed into it a little bit. He's like, it's all crap, you know, did most he, of it. You know? Did he heavily regret that later? Because the way Charlie kind of with the theatrics, you think did? Oh, everything. Did, oh, he's, I've never seen anybody more remorseful in, in this genre, you know, that I talk to. Yeah. Him and Tex Watson, I think, were probably the two. The two that really, really regret everything um, and go out of their way. To openly not just admit everything, and but you can keep sense of remorse and what they're doing for the good. Yeah, you know, how many things they're doing for charities. I, I just did a project with, with David Berkowitz. Uh, Twenty when I first became a Christian, like twenty years ago, my first 
introduction to prison outreach and ministry was a group called the Saints Prison Ministry, mostly pen pal Bible study stuff. But the main part of that was they went into all prisons around the country and played sports with them, like a legit game of basketball or softball or soccer. And at the end, you know, kind of gospel presentation type of thing. Well, he worked with them some project many moons ago. New leadership took over and he found out that I was part of that back in the day. So I reached out to the new leadership and we just did a big project together. You know, kind of a question and answer thing uh, between really this them and, and, uh, and, and with David, they just published it in their big article came out about, it. I guess it was about uh, maybe six months ago, five, six months ago or something like that. So I just did a cool little project with them. Um, and you know, when David likes it, because they know his stuff gets sold out on the market all the time. Right. And it's with a murder billion market as it is. So he, he would only type stuff. He'll sign his name, usually bro David. That's how he signs his name. Yeah. You know, he likes you when he gets you a handwritten letter. Yeah. They're worth a lot. I mean, just a type letter with a signature on an envelope. That's like 200 bucks. Yeah. And he knows that. And it, yeah. so he, I have a, I have a couple now, now he just, you know, handwrites everything. And even the last one that he wrote, and he's kind of insinuated that he's writing this by hand. Yeah. And he signed it. The only signature I've ever seen, David Berkowitz, a full signature. It's either David or bro David. And it's always typed. Even the envelope is typed. So, so I got one, again, the, the, uh, the, uh, the dork in me has it framed up on my man cape wall with everything else with the signature. And I got, I got one in my envelope, one of my thing and my binders over here, another handwritten one. He but that's, be, he would be on the Mount Rushmore of, uh, you know, true crime American people. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing because people do have, um, that conception of who he is mm-hmm. and all the guys. But if you actually like, or Tex Watson or a Manson family member, they're always going to have that thought of who they are. Yeah. If you met him in the line for a supermarket, you think this is this the nicest guy. And if you spend like a weekend with me, these change, you know, and if you always spend time with them, you, you can't put the two together. They're looks so like different. Looks like Al Capone's brother a little bit. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ber- yeah, Berkowitz, you know, he was one of the first ones that I ever heard of um, becoming Christian. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very, uh, what's the word? He, you know, he was open and real open about it. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. I don't know what the vibe would be. Uh, I guess open works. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he, didn't he come forward and do a lot of interviews telling people, you know, oh, he's trying to convert? Yeah, a ton of testimonies. Yeah. Even, you know, um, I not say stadium, but a large capacity church of thousands of people. They would put his video up there. They would live stream, giving his testimony in big, you know, Christian um, um, gatherings and even some churches. But for him, he was against it totally. If anything, he grew up kind of a Jewish background, you know, from his from his, um, his family he lived with anyway. But he kept this guy is walking on the yard, and a guy just kept talking about Jesus and changed his life. And here's the Bible. Let's get the hell out of here. It's not like, you know, God can't forgive me for what I did. And he just said the simplest prayer. He, could, he couldn't sleep at night. Mm. The simplest prayer was basically like, all right. No, he read a scripture in the Psalms about, you know, you can lay your head down in peace or something like that. And that was, he read that scripture. It stuck with him. He slept the first time he slept all the way through perfectly. Like he's never done that. But after reading the scripture, he thanked God, which yeah, I believe it too, that God gave him that sleep. But that's the only scripture that he even read. Right. He had the perfect night's sleep like the scripture said. Woke up, it's like, what the hell happened? You know, there's something to this. And that, that kind of started his way. He talked to God at Yard, like, hey, tell me more about this Jesus guy. Um, so that's kind of how he started. He was totally against it, as most people are, where I've done a lot of bad stuff. I can't become a Christian. Even if you didn't kill anybody. You know, like when I became a Christian, I was like, I did a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of stuff, you know. And that's not the point. Yeah, we've all done stuff. 
Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't get clean and then come to God. I don't care what religion you are. You, know, you come to religion and get clean. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's very freeing for them. You know what I mean? I think they 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 feel there's a lot of self hatred in what they do before they're even caught. I think there's a lot of self hatred in the killing to begin with. And then when yeah. they you know when they you hear things about all they wanted to be caught, I think that's part of the self hatred too. Of course, you know what I mean? So they pile it all up, and I think when they finally get that touch where they're like it's okay you know you can let it let it go type deal like the forgiven thing it's weight off their shoulders um do any of them correspond with each other i know a lot of the ones that became religious you think that they would they'd be able to relate with each other that they might not be allowed. You know, no yeah, yeah. I don't. they're not allowed to write another facility or oh. accept an alpha facility i guess that makes sense yeah now there's a little get around to that a little get around you can do yeah, like, like Dana Gray, one of my favorite people in the world. Get the forward, um, yeah, for the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they just switched an app through JPay. Yes, she called me twice last night, video chat and a phone call. I, I couldn't get to the phone. I was doing something. Um, but when she wants to correspond to somebody else. She sends me an email. They have nicknames for certain people. So I know who she wants to send it to. Yeah. So then I'll just copy the email, send it to so-and-so, and you know, back and forth. So they can, you know, as long as I'm not talking about, hey, so-and-so lives at this address, go get them. Nothing yeah, like yeah. that. It's like this is going on here. So and so is starting trouble. Hey, can you talk to the office? You know, it's it's that kind of stuff. But you can get the word out, you know, you know for something. It can be a little cryptic sometimes, but they can. I don't know. Sierra Coast, you know, really you know, two heavy hitters to communicate with each other. Yeah. Um, who was the one? Um, was it Dana or was it Keith? It might have been Keith Jasperson or maybe Dana too. I forget too. But they did reach out to another serial killer. I forget who was who. And they, it was Dana. And Dana's like, should I feed into this? Because everybody's calling me this monster serial killer. Maybe that's who I am. Maybe I'm a super serial killer. Let me talk to And I forget who the other person was. And they did correspond. But the letter back that she got was like, I'm not like this guy. This guy's freaking nuts. I'm not nuts. You know, yeah. She's, again, an abusive background. And she killed everybody who, who she thought was treating her like her mother did. That was kind of her um, reasoning you know, for that. She realizes now. They weren't treating her like her mother, but in her mind, that was the play in her mind. You know, a psychotic mind, that that's why she killed. Um, but yeah, but she got a letter back from whoever she was talking to. It's like, I'm not like, and I don't think I, don't think I know. I think she just told me it was a very famous hero killer. So I, I'm not like that person at all. That's when I realized I got to change because I, I don't want to be that person. And now and then she did. She changed a lot. How, how much of the crazy in some of these people... Like the, when the, the theatrics of the, you know, when she got that letter back and said, oh, I'm not like him. How much do you think that's like a self, like a, like a, like a mechanism of, because um, they're not really hard people, but they put out this persona so you don't mess with them type deal. You think there's a lot of that in there? Or you think they're actually just crazy? Like For me, it's a little different because I don't really get that mm. because I don't want anything from them. Yeah. You know, I'm not out for a scoop. You know, about the book, they know way ahead of time. Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something, and that's a little different. It sounds crazy, and people think I am crazy. Man, I am crazy. I'm just being a friend. Yeah. You know, I'm, they realize I'm just there, you know, to, to be a buddy. I'm trying to help them out, you know. Um, so I don't get too much of that. Hey, look at me. I'm bad, man, this and that. Um, just for sin a little bit. Um, I get a lot of artwork from him. So, you know, he's getting a little kind of give and take a little bit. He doesn't write many people. I know many people wrote Keith. He just wrote back, I got plenty of pen pals. I got plenty of chicks who want to write me. Don't ever write me again. He's pretty nasty. <laughs> but if you get in with him, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I, got, <laughs> I got artwork all over my house from, from Jesperson. Yeah. Um, he's maybe a little bit like that to people who he doesn't know and you're right. He's going to say something probably pretty nasty back to you. 
and like leave me alone and that bravado type. Um, but most of the people that I talk to, it's like I'm talking to you guys now. And we don't talk about murder. I mean, once in a while, somebody bring up murders and stuff. But it's mostly about everyday things, boring stuff. Half my letters are boring as hell. You know, to like people are expecting, you know, some insane letter. Yeah. Um, and we get some guys are just out like Haddon Clark, the cross-dressing cannibal. Um, I literally just got a letter today. I'm not, not even just a letter. I don't know how many, I don't know how many pages, pages this is <laughs> that I just got. Oh. Um, but the funny, I posted it. Let me, I had to laugh, even though, uh, um, he didn't really mean, I don't think, what he meant by it. Yeah. The very last line here in the letter is like, I'll tell you more crazy stuff in my next letter. Since you own a house, does your house have a basement? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that's what the only thing you could say in that very last line. House has a basement in there? <laughs> that important question mark, yes. Yeah, so that's how he ends the letter. I posted it on Facebook and everybody's laughing. Of course, my mom sees it. You know, she's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in, in the beginning or throughout the whole correspondence with people, have you ever thought like maybe it was kind of a, a bad idea or maybe you ever get worried in any way, any, any nervousness of it or something like that coming back to you being so open no. and, and close to these people? No, but most people, of them have my house address. I mean, some are P.O. Box. I've been switching a little bit more new people ever do to the P.O. Box a little yeah. bit. These people, they're not getting out. Yeah. You know, and it's one thing if they were mad at me, like I was doing something horrible to them or lying to them. Yeah, maybe they want to send somebody to my house or something. Like BTK's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Rader, who they call the Viper Clan. Yeah, he's very strict on. He'll, he's a decent artist. I got I got tons of his artwork. Um, he's very strict about you're not allowed to post this to the public. Mm. Don't put any social media. You can say that, but what we would term as social media. Yeah. Um, any of my artwork, any of my letters, because if you do, he has watchdogs called the Viper Clan, and they report back to him who is posting it or who's selling his stuff online. He's like, I know there's sellers out there, and I get it, but don't you don't let me catch you. You know, I even have a letter saying in code to the Viper Clan, he has a little like orange and like almost a lemon looking um, smiley face, if you will, and he's like, don't be too obvious about it, but there's a list of people. You know, yeah. but let them know I'm watching you. Don't be selling my stuff. You know, and because uh, when you do sell something to somebody, he sees your letter envelope, so you know the person's last name, whether it's a PO yeah. box or not. But if he recognizes the letter, he'll recognize the artwork. So, oh, I knew who I knew who I drew that for. And uh, the last time I talked to him, he's in very bad health with the colitis. He had a heart attack or a stroke, one of the two. He said he can only write a couple letters a week, maybe at most. So he's just kind of limiting to very, very intimate friends and family. Um, I got one of the last letters she wrote to somebody outside of that. And I also got one of the last letters. Um, and I asked anybody who collects, and no one has one uh, it's after me where he still signed at BTK. He never, now it's just, he's like, I put that in a letter. says, I put that moniker to bed. He sent me two letters. One was a letter he didn't send like uh, six or seven months before. Yeah. And that had all the BTK stuff in it. And the other letter he sent with me was more up to date. This is the beginning of this year. Um, or no, the end of last year, 2021 saying, I put that moniker to bed. Thanks for the letter. Thanks for the support. And he sent me a little piece of artwork. He's like, but I'm just going to limit it. I don't have the strength and energy. He has to be pushed around in a wheelchair now. He's like, that moniker's done. I'm just, just close friends and friends. That was, you know, last time that I heard from him. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so he can, if they want to get you or reach out to you, they got, you got to think okay. of how many people write. I mean, I'm just one guy and I got thousands of letters, you know, that I talk to, you know, people all the time. 
So no matter how many people are writing them, whether they're fanboys or, you know, just want to talk to serial killers. So they, they can get a message out there very easily without directly writing, you know, to somebody with all the following for sure, whether it's another serial killer or somebody they just don't like. Great. Interestingness. I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> so don't, yeah, don't be selling the picks, man. I'll come get you. Now yeah, exactly. you're, you're heavy in the, in the member, like the true crime memorabilia game, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Now you, you mentioned, now some of them don't like their stuff to be sold. Yeah. Some of them do. Like I sell artwork for some of them. You know, a lot of people don't like, like Wayne Garrison and stuff. There's people that want me to put their stuff out there to sell for them because they just don't have the opportunity to do it. Or Keith Jesperson or the same way. They don't, they don't mind at all because they're getting paid either way. Yeah. Like, some that, people a little bit against it. So that's that Mickey, what it is. The Mickey Mouse behind you, is that a one-off or does he does he do those? Is that like... That's his most famous one. Yeah. Yeah. So if you collect anything Jesperson, that's the uh, the Monet, if you will, of, of Jesperson's artwork. <laughs> There's a lot. I got... The other one, I don't know if you can I'll turn around so you can kind of see. I got a couple over here. The uh, Starry Night up there. Yeah. That's another. That's a rare one. He just sent me. Can you see the uh, buzzards at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I yeah. thought that was a poster. He drew that? Yeah. He, wow. He's, he's really, really good. Um, I sent him, you know, he's like, hey, send me a drawing of, if that was like a kind of cartoon. He sent me these buzzards. On a, there's a name for them. I forget what they were. He's like, send me this. Send me, you know, a couple other things. And two weeks later, I get that in the mail. I haven't asked for it. It's going to send it to me in the mail. Um, I probably have, I don't know, about 20 pieces of his, I guess. And they're big. You see the side. These, these are huge, huge pieces that he does. The one I want, the guy that wrote a book about him, a guy named Michael Phelps or William Phelps. I forget his name. Last name is Phelps. Um, not the nicest guy in the world. Like, you can read the book. He's just kind of just nasty. Yeah. Anyway, he still has all Jesperson's personal pictures that he wants back, especially if you Google there's a picture of his truck. He called it, it's a purple face truck. I forget, he called it, it's a nickname for the truck. I forget what he called it. But he's standing outside of the truck in a big, long tractor, big, long rig. He's like, man, I, I'd love to get those pictures back. So I, I got a hold of Phelps. He's just a douche. He's like, oh, no, tell him never talk to me again. You don't write me again either. Listen, I'm just the middleman. I'm just telling you. Well, a month or two later, I get a letter from uh, Keith saying, you believe that jackass reached out to me again? He promised to send me all my pictures back, but he wants something. I don't know what he wants. So they're still arguing back. I'm the middleman. I'm sending him <laughs> between yeah. the two of them. But anyway, I sent him a photocopy of this picture. He's just standing outside this big truck. I told him, that's the picture I want. I want you to make that truck mean, gnarly. If the letter up, he's like, I got five bodies in that truck. You know, <laughs> it's hysterical. So look at it. It's the, uh, uh, I can't wait for that. Time. He's working on that. He's some other things he has to do with friends and family. This is probably my third um, melting Mickey. People offer me like ridiculous amount of money for that. Yeah, so after a while, I'm like, all right, I kind of can't say no. I was get Pete, he'll just pay me another one, you know, give me another one to it. I'm like, I keep selling them, you know. He's like, all right, he doesn't care, you know. But yeah, so some don't care that you have it, but I always get something. Um, Wayne Garrison I had mentioned, I saw a lot of his artwork and his favors. He said he's working on a truck for me. Okay. And, I, and just saying, okay, I'm thinking, well, what are you going to do in a prison cell? You know, out of a cigarette box, you're going to make something, you know. <laughs> you made that in prison? In prison. Yeah. I like Ooh. it, dude. You're not going to see the inside. The detail is astronomical on the inside. The bottom of it. Last week. So this one. 
Does he sign him? Put a little signature in there? Yeah, on the bottom. Yeah, on the bottom. Yeah. Side, yeah. But but from, they, a, from a prison, like the glass, this quote-unquote glass is from like a peanut butter jar. You know, <laughs> the styrofoam top is this, the styrofoam plate, you know, the food tray, the peanut butter jar glass. The dashboard is yeah. intricate. It's absolutely amazing. Me being it's a singer. Like BTK and Gorigami from BTK. That's BTK. This rose is BTK. It's crazy. Get to those trucks real quick. Those trucks were made out of the. I thought they were made. That was like a kid that that somebody sent them. He made that out of like. From the packages, like the sodas come in, the cardboard, the sodas cans come in. Wow. um, Styrofoam trays. Again, the peanut butter is for the glass. Very, very intricate. That's incredible. So you get some of the what are called the not for sale pieces. You know that that's that's one of them. <laughs> that goes to show you what you were saying earlier about some of these people if they put their mind to positive stuff. Like yeah. imagine what they would have like that right there is amazing yeah. that they did that with like what they had in a cell. You know. What yeah. I mean? He's probably the most amazing artist I've seen. Yeah. I mean, I should have kept some of the pieces, but I you know he. I would rather get put a couple bucks in his pocket. Yeah. Um, very intricate pieces of artwork. Very, very intricate. I mean, Keith too. I mean, Keith does a lot of good artwork. Dana Gray. I got tons of pieces of Danny Gray up on the wall. She's more texture, you know, with texture pieces, which which is amazing. Um, yeah, and, and some of them are just like BTK is not the greatest artist. Some of the stuff he can do is good, but it's BTK. Yeah, you know, I got I got a whole album full of BTK artwork, which is just, I mean, it's not you're not gonna you know win any awards for his artwork. You'll get like a let me get the dog, you know, but. He did that is what's yeah, you know. yeah. I, I, a whole whole album full of stuff. But I mentioned the Viper clan. This is the letter from the Viper clan. He talks about getting the people. You know, get, <laughs> this is the letter. you know what to do. You know what to do to get them. It's hysterical. So on death row, they have like, was it like 20 hours of just to do whatever they want to do? Like that's what they just do a lot of artwork and such and reading and all that, I'm sure. There's nothing else to do yeah. for the most part. I mean, some of the higher profile ones, they can't put in general population. You're going to target. Because yeah, you're the person who killed BTK or killed or Dahmer. That guy's Dahmer, still famous. Yeah, yeah that guy's still famous who killed him. Um, there's a notch in their belt. So they can't be put in general population. So they get what else they're going to do. You know, they got to get a hustle. They got to make some money somehow. If they're not mm-hmm. friends and family, most of these don't have friends and family. Right. You know, to support them. They get they got a hustle to do it. Uh, Keith Jesperson, he got no family, certainly, and doesn't like anybody. Yeah, I'm one of the few people he likes that I talk to all the time. Um, but he has artwork to sell. You know, that's all they got. Yeah. And they live on commissary because if you have $10,000 in the bank, what are you going to do with it on death row or in a prison? You yeah. got a good commissary. You can trade. You know, hey, I, I'll trade you this, 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 and this for this. You know, coffee and things like that or cigarettes you buy a commissary. Um, some people, like in, in San Quentin, they're allowed quarterly packages. Like uh, one of the school shooters, Eric Houston, from the Linhurst school shooting. Oh, damn, like multiple times a week. He's always sending letters. Uh, well, as you can see, there's a check from San Quentin from Eric Houston. So I, I take care of his commissary stuff. Oh, okay. I from books, quarterly packages. Like that's 100 bucks. The last check was 300 bucks. So I'll take care of the quarterly package, like snacks, pasta, microwavable things or, you know, yeah. a little crock pot kind of thing in, in the cell, you know, a little electric thing. This is for books. You know, he's allowed a certain amount of books every quarter. Uh, so I'll take care of him, some of them. But he has no, he has family, but then some of these guys, they don't have family. So many times they've done horrible things. They've all abandoned them. That's so true. there's a lot of people like for Eric and for Dana that I kind of, kind of help out, you know, in, uh, in any way that I can. 
depending on just a level of trust. You know, they're sending you, I mean, Dana does it too. Um, they'll just send you checks, you know, and yeah. trust you enough to build that relationship up that, oh, you're going to send me the food back. You're going to send me the books or whatever I need. Um, it goes a long way. I mean, what I didn't include in the book, I am including in this book. When again, one of the early questions you asked about why do I do when people look at me like you're just as evil as them, how can you help them out? I'm like, no, I'm making, trying to make the world a little better place. Dana is a perfect example. Now, Dana is just kind of getting religious now. She was a hundred percent against it. So we just never talked about it. She's kind of wandering in the Jewish face a little bit. Um, fine, do whatever you want. Just keep it positive. Right. Well, I talked to her for about a year or so. Now remember, Dana did all the killing of people who reminded her of her mother and who got a little aggressive towards her. Um, so in prison, again, about a year of writing back and forth, just encouraging one another, helping her to school projects in there, retyping some things for her, just building a good friendship. Well, it was a Mother's Day two years ago, I believe. Might have been, yeah, about two years ago. Now, she lives in what's quote-unquote cell for her. Might be like eight women, I think. So it's kind of a big cell with a little dorm, kind of, if you will. It was Mother's Day, and this lady's been giving her problem. Got up in her face, just like her mother did, verbally abusive, really, 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 really bad sent me a letter, I, don't know if it was a, I think it was an email, about what was going on, on what to do, I'm, I'm shaking, I'm freaking out, freaking out. But she just remembered all of her positive conversations. So the next email I got, I was worried. I'm like, that girl's gone. <laughs> you mess with Dana Gray, you know? Yeah. She, next email, she's like, you're not going to believe this. Again, she's a little bit of an artist, or more than an artist, very good artist. She's like, it was Mother's Day, and I was making everybody's Mother's Day's cards. I decided to treat her with kindness. She made this crazy woman a... Mother's Day card. The woman broke down in tears. She was crying. They made up. They had a big hug. They said they made Mexican food all night with the scraps that they had. They had a fiesta party all night long. But the email back, which I'm publishing in my new book, was thanking me for being such an encouragement to her, like she's never had her life before. Yeah. She's, I could have done some horrible things to her, but I don't want to. I had more of the urge, the natural urge was to show kindness and to show love. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not that I'm taking credit you know, to be prideful about me, but just to show you anybody, I'm nobody. I just wrote a couple positive letters trying to encourage somebody like that. You can't tell me I didn't save that woman's life. No, you know, sure. or at, least, at least of a beatdown, if yeah, anything, you know, a pretty bad beatdown for her. But the end of my new book is going to be, what can we do? But I'm nobody. I just wrote a couple letters to somebody, some emails, and I potentially saved a life. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Don't say you don't have time to do this and do that. I mean, there's, there's many options that we can do even greater than that by volunteering and, you know, whatever. Um, but just that's how far an email can go. Just positive yeah. and encouraging. You know, yeah, she's a serial killer. You know, she's psychotic. Can they be healed? Well, I was one person. You know, I just helped that one person pretty tremendously. You know, so that's kind of the gist of the new book that I'm writing. Of course, it ties into this too about there's nothing religious about my new book. This is more about how science can help you know give us wisdom about things what we do to help treat people like that and things like omega-3 and things that have been showing signs of healing psychopathy even if it's only a smallest tiny percentage and um which is amazing you think about studies have been shown with omega-3 in prison facilities with the violent offenders it's a double blind study with hundreds of people they put um, a couple milligrams of uh, omega-3 in a juice box double blind means half the people got it half the people thought they got it and then another group just nothing, just kept the same counseling they normally would have in a prison, which is very little. Well, the people who've really got it, the violent crime in the prison, after a course of, I think, six years, they found, or multiple years, drastically went down. Hmm. The ones who thought they got it and the ones who didn't get anything kept going up just like it normally would be. Then I posted a study of, of countries 
that eat twice their body weight in fish every year, like Japan, things like that, there's some virtually no violent crime. Hmm. And then you look at other countries that have like no fish at all in certain areas, they have the highest crime rate. So there's something ground surface studies are just coming out of omega-3 and fish oil and things like that. It does something to the brain to kind of mellow people out who have violent histories. So there's no cure, of course, but with that and another positive thing I'm posting or writing about is psychopaths cannot be deterred by punishment or the threat of punishment. They're going to thrive off it or they don't care. The part of the brain doesn't work, but reward has been working tremendously. There's prison studies, um, Norway prison, or prison in Norway, Holden Prison, has now dropped down below 20%. I think it's like 17% recidivism right now. When here in America, we're like 70% because they're not punishment-minded. They're reward-minded. You know, it's almost a little community in their prisons. It's still walled up and you're still, you know, blocked off in, in um, solitary confinement and things like that, but it's more reward-based. The, the prison guards, they're trained in communication. They're in kindness and in therapy and things like that. Not just like here in America, we got to learn how to shoot a gun in self-defense and that's punishment minded. So you get rewarded. You do good. Oh, you get more TV time. You get the PlayStation. You get this. The finally crime, the recidivism rate is tremendous. Um, North Dakota, they just went up there and did a tour a couple of years ago. Now guess who has the lowest recidivism rate in America? North Dakota, because they're getting away from the punishment minded aspect of it. And now the repeat offenders are are dropping, you know, the, the rates are dropping tremendously. So we're, we're coming to find out in vinyl defenders that now I want to say reward, like you get ice cream every day, but not the punishment minded reward minded has doing drastic changes as far as healing them and, and training their minds a little bit of a different way. Um, it's going to be a hard sell. It is a hard sell to a lot of other facilities. I know here in Jersey and Pennsylvania, they also took the tour up Norway. They didn't buy it. Like we, we can't, our, the leadership and when they came back, our politicians aren't going to buy this. You just killed my entire family, a school shooter. You're going to send them to Club Med, you know, so they'd be punished. I get it. Right. But long term, who do you want coming again? Who do you want leaving the prison? Somebody twice as evil or somebody rehabilitated? If yeah. this is what we have to do, then we should look into a little bit more of that. So, I'm, again, that's a big part of my book. It's going to come out hopefully by the end of the year of opening people's minds in a different way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing studies that have been coming out and by numerous, numerous people. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. You got to treat. Trauma with kindness, for sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's, again, there's just some people that need to be locked up. They need to be punished or they keep doing yeah, it. There is that still. But we also have to open up this door because it's proven to work. Because if we go from 70% recidivism within five years of being a repeat offender, 70% yeah. down to now 17%, there's something to that. Right. You know, and you might say, oh, it's Norway. Well, North Dakota is doing it too. You yeah. know, and prisons are following this model. They're saying that it does work. Yeah. Getting people to buy into that, that's a whole different story. Are you a believer in the death penalty? What do you, th- what do you feel about that? I am. And people are usually surprised to hear, hear that I am. Um, I think it's a case-by-case basis. You know, like the, the Eileen Warnos, I would have been against it. Right. I know more of her story. You know, people look at her from a distance. Evil needs to be put to death. Now, you don't know her whole story. You know, you know, the facts, just a trial and everything, everything really didn't come out like it really should have come out. And a good lawyer will suppress a lot of information. Um, people, yeah. Certain people, there are just no Richard Ramirez's of the world. There was just, there was, I mean, he got back out. There's nothing that he could do. You know, I mean, there's some people, um, that I think 
maybe just are evil, um, that I can see it. I mean, it's biblical. You know, I mean, they, they did too in the Old Testament. Uh, even in New Testament, there's some examples of that. Holy Spirit knocks some people dead just for a couple little lies. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm 100% for it or 100% against it. Um, I think it's a kind of case by case. I don't think you just, you're guilty, capital murder, you, you're, you're going to die. I think we got to open them again. Is it brain abnormalities? And that's starting to be allowed in the court now, you know, of how far is that going to be allowed studying the brain in court? Right. Um, people got off a of death row a lot of times because they proved something abnormality in the brain. Um, it's more and more going to be seen. Now there's studies. Um, they're starting to do it in, in court, but I don't think it's really effective yet. It's going to be, it still has more to go where now they can hook up your brain. However, they're going to hook you on up in certain areas of your brain. Let's say if you're, if you're a witness, not even you know, on, on the crime, but if you're a witness, he's like, Oh, I remember this because it happened like this. Let's just pretend this side of your brain lit up when you're remembering something that you saw. But let's say someone told you and you're remembering something that somebody told you to say that you saw something. This side of the brain is going to light up. Mm. So if the courtroom can see it, they're, oh, wait a minute. You, somebody, this side lit up, not this side. <laughs> you know, or if you're, or if you are the murderer, potential murderer, and they show you five images, let's say you killed somebody, killed somebody with a pair of scissors. This side of your brain lights up and you see something familiar. The four other images that you've seen, you didn't kill with, this side of the brain lights up. So when you look into five images, and when you come to this one, boop, 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 boop. again, is it provable in law? No, it's not 100% science, 100% accurate. But we're getting close, closer and closer to percentages the more we're studying the brain and what lights up when certain feelings and emotions. That could be groundbreak, groundbreaking for court, even if you're just a witness. Yeah. You know, so it's... It's neuroscience is just at a new book is all neurology and neuroscience is studying all this. The more we know, problem is we got to study more serial killers. Mm. I mean, serial killers are like, Oh, I'm a serial killer. You can study my brain. So they're trying to give them more incentive in prison. Hey, can I do an MRI on your brain? Can we do a test? Can we do this? Can we do that? Maybe for a few bucks or commissary, whatever it may be. Um, we just need more studies done. Yeah. And Ramirez was never, uh, remorseful, right? Wasn't he, a, no, wasn't no. he kind of a bit? Now, did he keep with – he was like a Satan dude in the beginning, right? Was he always that, or did he, like, go back on that? From every interview that I know he was. Yeah. Um, and he, Satan was a little weird, too. I don't know that deep about it, but it's not always just, like, the devil's my God. Right. It's, it's deeper than that, too. It's more about just morality and, you know, views of right and wrong type of deal. It's, it's almost like not an anti – Christian, so it is anti-Christian, but anti-religious in a positive way. But it goes more than just worshiping the devil. It gets kind of a lot deeper, you know, in that realm. Um, so he was in definitely into all that and always was. I mean, that never really never changed. The people that I've known to visit him wrote to him constantly. Um, yeah, that's what they've always said. But yeah. people don't know about him. And if you got to really visit him and get to know him a lot, well, he never showered. Like it was, it was really, really bad if you got to go visit him. Yeah. And he's a chronic masturbator, like the worst masturbator in the history of mankind. <laughs> masturbator. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, he'd bring his wife or, or some friends with him, and he knew what he was going to do. And he got real close to the glass, like right up front, and like the, the level went to about his chest, where like the the the, uh, the not where the glass stopped. He knew he was kind of getting himself off. We got the girls got real close to the mirror. So he constantly do it. Like every, he would know he laughed. William Harden. He's on like every true crime documentary as far as artwork goes. Yeah. Um, Harden. 
which is hysterical. He tells me all these firsthand stories. Now, if you saw the new documentary on Netflix about him, his sister even said it. He said, the last time I visited him, we're sitting at a table, and he just starts jerking off under the table right in front of me. He's like, yeah. that was it. That was it. I, I can't I'm gonna go back there again. You know, so it's he, he's he's definitely, you know, well, I'm assuming sister, he's some uh, brain abnormalities up there somewhere. I'd but, say so, yeah, with the sister, yeah. for sure. If he's jerking off to the sister, yeah, that's exactly. I know you said mm-hmm. uh, Berkowitz mm-hmm. kind, because I know with Berkowitz in the beginning when he first got, like, arrested and he was talking about the dog, and I think he said something about, like, him being involved in a satanic cult that kind of orchestrated the whole thing. And I believe you said that he said that was all like hogwash, not, not real, just theatrics, but as a religious man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He was never really into it that deep. He pursued certain things of different occult. It just appealed to him a little bit. Um, Like I said, the same Hain or devil's name and things like that. Um, He was just lost as a searching for some type of answers. He definitely played into it to the media more than, he really was. He just liked that attention because he didn't get attention his whole life. So once you now the whole world knows who you are, right? And, and yeah, you're going to soak it in. You're going to say all kinds of things, whether you believe it or not. So he really went out of the way to say some crazy stuff that he never believed in. He just wanted that limelight, wanted that attention, and didn't want to lose the limelight because once you get a taste of it, you know, if you're a normal celebrity, you know, like a rock star or whatever, you, you want to keep it. You definitely want to yeah. keep that. So you'll say anything you want to keep your name out there, and so that's kind of mostly what he did. I mean, some things you certainly believe some of it. Um, but mostly is you now he just he fed into you know whatever they wanted him to be basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we, we talked a lot about it, like head trauma and abuse and stuff like that. And as a religious guy, where do you put your opinion on something like a possession, like where people kind mm-hmm. of are overcome by a negative spirit or a demon, if you will, that mm-hmm. makes them do something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's there, I definitely think it's true, mm-hmm. um, and I think we have to be mindful of. That versus something neuro, 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 neurological. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Someone was schizophrenic, you know, have like five people in them. They thought it was five demons in them. Right. Well, now we kind of know that's now or not true. Um, but you, you just don't know. I mean, the Bible is very clear. Satan just doesn't have a pitchfork and horns. He comes right. as an angel of light. Right. So you don't necessarily have to be possessed by somebody. Ooh, ooga booga. All he cares about is you don't find Christ. All he cares about you don't find Jesus. Yeah. You can be a positive thing. Oh, no, I want to teach you skydiving today. Well, I think I'm going to go skydiving today. Anything yeah. to keep you distracted doesn't have to be going to go kill people. He just cares that you're not, you're not going to heaven. So anything it takes. Now, if he, if someone, he possessed somebody here in America and, you know, there's somebody lunatic, you know, that you would lock up in a mental ward, it's blatantly obvious that probably some kind of demon or something, if he's like really lunatic wise, yeah. then he's taught. It's the jigs up. So he's more, I believe, you know, from the, I think the biblical explanation is he comes as an angel of light. He'll distract you in subtle ways, a little whisper in the ear. You know, you're about to find truth over here. It's like, oh, 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 oh. I'm about to check out this apple over here. Check this, not, you know, this tree, you know, check out this, check out this girl. Oh, look at them. Look at a rack on her. Let's go this way. Yeah, and yeah. We're, we're all idiots. We're very suggestible. Oh, okay. <laughs> Get over here. Yeah. And, and think a minute. I mean, even in our own minds, we all have thoughts. I think we're all tempted, whether we know it or not, to where, where do our thoughts come from? We can ask ourselves a thought and, oh, yeah, what was the name of that place? And you go in where somebody asks you a question, you go into your mind or you're purposely thinking of something. But then other thoughts come in. Boom. Do this. Yeah. Oh, OK. So you know, there's whether well, it's a godly thought, Satan thought kind of a deal. So we don't really know. Nothing is really provable. Yeah. You know, but I think you can I think there's definitely exceptions where we go. Oh, it's, yeah, that's 
probably some demons in there, you know. Yeah. But I think more he becomes more of an angel of light, guiding us in different directions. Even if what we perceive as positive things, yeah. all he cares about is you don't know Jesus, you know, from the Christian devil anyway. That's all he cares about, keeping you away. Because think about it, who's the most persecuted? Let's let's assume for a second Christianity is right. The Bible's God's word, just for the sake of this. Why do you think that Jesus or the Christians and the Jews has been the most persecuted religion ever if there's not a real devil? Why is Jesus the only curse word out of any of the other gods who ever existed? Jesus Christ. God, Jesus Christ. You take a step back and just logically look at things. That is no devil. Really? You know, then how come he doesn't persecute the Buddhists? You know, there's a lot of Buddhists out there. Yeah. There's a lot of Muslims out there. There's a lot of this religion. It's only the Jews severely persecuted to this day and the Christians. You know, so there's, there's ways to look at it. The devil's very active. Maybe just not in the ways that we think the movies portray, you know, the Satan possession. Do I think that exists in some places? Certainly. I, I think that's still true. But I think it's truer that he nudges us in different directions and causes maybe hate certain groups of people and, and whatever. So I think it's more subtle, I think. Yeah. At least in my opinion, I think that's more of a biblical explanation of it than yeah, possessing somebody and running them off to the rocky cemetery and, you know, howl at the moon kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, sure it can happen, but I don't think it happens as much as the movies say it does. Yeah. Well, they say what the, the greatest trick the devil ever did was making you think they didn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great movie. <laughs> yeah. I have one last question for you, Keith. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, my, you know, one of my favorite parts about the book is how it would have kind of the, the folks go into detail a little bit about like what actually happened, like what got them in there. And um, when reading on the Mark David Chapman uh that chapter something stuck out to me that that really kind of stuck with me and it was when he was describing um when he shot lennon mm-hmm. two things actually like he, he he says something about how he when they made eye contact and you could see a little something in lennon's eye about how he was curious about the fact that oh i seen this person early today kind of oh, yeah, like he got yeah. to feel like something was up I thought that was mm-hmm. very incredibly creepy yeah. and the next thing that i thought was even louder in my head was after he shot Lennon, the door guy told him to leave, which I thought was very weird. Now, my question is, I don't know if you're a conspiracy guy, and I know there's a lot of people that probably wanted Lennon dead. Do you think, what's your take on him maybe, him maybe he was supposed to leave but didn't, and maybe he took a fall for something? Maybe there was more people involved. What's your take on that? I don't personally believe that. Yeah. Because the doorman okay. didn't say leave. The doorman grabbed him and knocked the gun out of his hand and, you know, restrained him too. Yeah. It wasn't just like, leave. No, he grabbed him, got the gun out, tackled him down, and he just didn't leave. He's, there's no reason to. It's almost, um, where my job's done. You know, and yeah. that was his, and from the book that he was reading and Catcher and Arrive, whatever the book was. Yeah. Um, it's similar to when you have a mindset that we can't quite grasp because our minds don't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to the mindset the guy I'm writing about now, Yumasaki, when I asked him, well, before, when you decided you're going to kill her, can you get me inside your mind of what you were thinking? Did you think about getting caught? How are you going to get away? And then right up until you got caught, like the night of the murder, like after the murder, he, directly from the murder, he went to the diner and ate and was hitting on the waitress. He saw a hotel out back and thought, God put this girl in front of me. Oh, it's a great book. Wait, this, this is a crazy story. Nice. And, um, and thought, oh, God put her in my past so I can have sex with her. Because the whole thing was trying to have sex with a woman. And then the girl, he said something, the girl ran away. The God, God doesn't give me anything. 
you just killed the dude and thought you killed two people. And so I was like, take me in your mindset of, and, and they went right, he went to sleep that night, woke up and the cops were basically at the door. But what was your mindset? Were you thinking about getting caught, not getting caught? He's like, when you have nothing to lose in my mindset, you don't think of anything like that. You don't care about getting caught. You don't think about getting caught. You only think about getting away. You just go back to everyday life of, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. Now, what was in Chapman's mind, I don't, I don't know. Is that I'm going to get into details about that. It doesn't really talk at all about that pretty much anymore. But it's impossible because we don't have that mind. Right. Of a psychopath or somebody who's that type of, whether it's autism, autism has been abused or abnormality, we can't. Oh, if I, did, if I was in that position, I would did this. Or I would have never went to eat after I killed. Right. We can't put ourselves there. We can't. Right. Or they don't have what we have up here. They don't have certain things. And we just can't do that and can't uh, comprehend what, what he was saying uh, or what he was thinking. So in his mind, like I don't think it was a conspiracy. I think it was just him, you know, and, and, and shot him in. Again, if you have nothing to lose or if you accomplish what you set to accomplish, yeah. how warped as that is, you're not thinking about running away. You're not thinking about hiding. You're not thinking about getting caught. You're just, you just, you did it. And okay. And who knows what he was thinking else in his mind? Like Yumasaki is like, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about running away or getting caught even at before, during or after the murder. He's just nothing to lose. And I just went on with my life. Mm. Yeah, Chapman did say that he wanted, that, like I said before, that it was like how he wasn't even a fan. He just wanted to be kind of known for doing it. He wanted to be famous. Yeah. So, like, well, yeah, that's probably why he wouldn't leave right there. Yeah. Yeah. You brought up a school shooter a little while ago. And I know mm-hmm. you took, did, did you ever get into the mind of him and, and, and get, a, get an idea of why, what made him think a school shooting would be a good idea? You know? Yeah, he, Eric, as much as I talk to him, he doesn't really talk about, I mean, most of the people we don't really talk about. It's the quickest way to have somebody I cut communication that. off realistically. I mean, but a little bit about it. Um, but his mindset, he's always, I'll, I'll be 50 in a, in a week or two. He's, he's my age too. This happened, you know, a while ago. But his mentality, even of today, is not a 50 year old man. Right. It's a child. Um, his artwork is really good. Do you remember the cartoon, um, The Far Side? Yeah, mm, yeah. That's his cartoons to me. He's freaking hysterical. But that he—that's him. Yeah. He's far side. <laughs> so that's kind of his mentality, humor, and everything else. But also about that age, you know. Let's say that that teenager age. Like he's never left the teenage years. Right. Like he still has that mentality, even though he's older. His fascination with the guns and everything else. But his mentality when killing was, he was upset because they didn't—he didn't give a passing grade. Mm. That was the gist of him. And there's a movie about him with uh, Ricky Schroeder and Henry Winkler, believe it or not. They have they made the movie about him. Very, pretty accurate. Huh. You know, I think it happened in a different, you know, instead of a band room, it happened in another room, you know, where they held all the kids hostage. But if you see the movie, if you, um, they changed the name of it a couple of times. I forgot what the last formation of the title was. Um, I, I can send it to you. I'll send it to you on the, in, a, in a link afterwards. Um, he killed a bunch of people, held them up. I think it was in the band room. I forget what was the room. One was a band room. One was another. Let's say it was a band room. 60 kids or something like that. 60 students. But after a while, he started being funny. The kids were laughing. He was joking a little bit about certain. They're still scared for their lives, but they realized yeah. he does have a little humor, but will also kill you. Mm. He ended up bringing pizza, ordering pizza and soda for everybody. You know, they were still in there and let a few hostages go, you know, kind of here and there. He killed some people too, obviously. Um, but it also mentality was that He'll be set free. I want you to give me a piece of paper to the police and authorities that says on a piece of paper that 
um, I'm only do like one year in prison, and then you'll let me go if I let everybody go and, and give myself up. So they brought a piece of paper that said, okay, we're going to let you go after very minimal. <laughs> of course not. You're going to see death row, you know, in right. California to this day. But the mentality is, oh, okay, you got a piece of paper that says, it. oh, I'm good. So that's kind of, you know, his mentality still childlike um, to this day. Who has that memorabilia? That's the question. <laughs> What's that? Who has that memorabilia, that paper that he signed? Oh, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I probably have, no lie, Here's, this is Eric Houston's. Let me see if I can get it. He loves zombies. But here, I don't know if you can see, but here's like a, a typical, like a farce. I get to look at oh, yeah. the camera. Like that style. But here you can see, here's a whole book. Are <laughs> of they... all this is the first piece he sent me. Terminator. Christopher Walken and the Walking Dead. Holy yeah. shit. I thought that was Christopher Walken as Terminator for a second. No, is this like somebody that. walking dead? Oh, the Walking Dead. I wear that shirt. Dead. <laughs> I so wear that shirt, man. man. He's always sending me books after he reads them. I got a ton of this. But there's just probably a hundred pieces of artwork just from him alone. You can see that. Just that. I know, like, BTK doesn't want his stuff being seen that much, but have, has anybody ever had interest in maybe, like, a coffee table book of their artwork released or something like that? I've talked to a few people. Yeah. And, like, Haddon Clark. I don't know if you're familiar with him, the cross-dressing cannibal. Mm. I got – I must have another – I think I have 60 pieces of his, his artwork. Um, I'm trying to get him to do a recipe book. He's a great cook. Yeah, you know, yeah. whether it was from the Navy <laughs> he started, he gives me recipes – like even in here, even in these letters, this you know, four or five page letter, I told him I was you know trying to get a good uh, nacho cheese or cheddar cheddar cheese dip. He gave me what one? Oh, it's two main ingredients: beer and cheddar cheese. If you group the roux, make the roux first, and so I got a tons of recipes from him. Um, I'm not sure. I'm trying to talk him into it. You got to do a recipe <laughs> book or something. Um, his artwork's pretty good. I mean, most of it's about little girls. Yeah. Um, Doing sign language, you know, sign language is mostly that. Whether it's very very pornographic, or usually something nice, like this is the sign for bear. But it's creepy because you ate little girls and you killed little girls. But this little girl in the artwork, like most of his artwork, like the vast majority of it, like maybe the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm in Philly, but you can always see like the little girl in the artwork. That's the vast majority of his stuff. But then his mentality is, oh, here's ear. But if you notice. I'll get earwax and Q-tips. Nice. <laughs> you know, or send me his miniature toothbrush or hair from his head or or a, a popular thing to do is the handprints and the footprints in coffee. Well, send me like the handprints or the footprints. and Yeah, yeah. It, you can imagine what else it gets sent to me sometimes. Wait, when we, when we see, you know, serial killers do artwork of like kitty things, do you think that's them trying to be creepy or do you think that that's almost like they got shut off at a certain age because of the trauma what do you, what do you think like the style comes from? with Haddon and no, my heart breaks from him in one aspect um, since a very infant his yeah. parents did not want a boy they wanted a girl huh. since birth they have dressed him in women's clothing so when he got busted they wanted to show where all the bodies were and some other stuff he's like I want to tell you if you give me women's clothing and they dressed him in his pictures of him. You can see him dressed in women's stuff. And then now I'm comfortable. Now I can do whatever. But his whole life, he's only comfortable dressing in women's clothing. But so from a young age, he was meant, you know, it was from that. Um, and just the abuse from, can imagine, 
you're dressed in women's clothing since you were a baby in front of your friends and everybody else, what kind of abuse and mental, psychological, you know, abuse that had happened with him. Um, he's only told me little bits and pieces growing up. He can't understand why he turned out to be a little lunatic, you know, a little uh, psychotic. Um, but once you get to know him and hear these guys' stories, it's like, man, my heart breaks for the victims. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm trying to make that point, the chapter in the book, you know, what about the victims? I made it abundantly clear. Um, yes, my heart breaks for you a lot more than these people. But my heart still breaks for these people because you don't know their background, their stories, and why they turn out the way they are. Um, at least the ones with an issue or with an abnormality or being suffered abuse, whatever. So when he draws little girl pictures, yeah, because he's identifying with himself with that little girl. Yeah. You know, it's not like there's some sexual things that he draws too, but mostly it's very innocent, just a girl doing some sign language type of thing. But others are different. The others are just, you know, just weird. You know, I get some sometimes just insane artwork of just, you know, vile things sometimes. And, and sometimes they test you. They'll send something out like a crazy letter just to see, you know, if, if you're going to respond or how you respond or yeah. are, you, are you, are you really want to be my friend or getting to know me really, or just sell the artwork or just sell a letter or whatever it may be. So it usually takes about a year. Um, people ask me about artwork all the time. They're not going to send you any artwork. You may have to pay them or something like that. Yeah, it takes a long time to build trust with somebody, especially on their end. For number one, they've never trusted anybody their whole lives, not even family. And now some strangers writing you out of the blue and you want artwork from them. No, you never hear from them again. It takes a long, long time. You know, a lot of, a lot of give and take as far as, you know, it is, uh... it's like the doctor lector kind of, you know, thing, right? A little give and take. It's like a testing, a little filling out process. Yeah. Um, and some are quicker than others. And some just want money from you. Hey, can you send me this? Can you send me that? And they see how much they can get out of you. I can, that I can, every, every, after all these years, you can sniff that out, you know, right away. Um, and some, you still send stuff, you know, send them stamps or send them a book, you know, and, you know, send them things that they might need. It's, it's more of a friendly thing, not because they asked, you know, but you, you offer type of a deal. Um, but yeah, once trust is built up, birthdays a great time. I got all kind of crazy stuff. You know, on birthdays, they come in there and, um, yeah, they said it's it's a trust thing to build up, and then some is not. Some is just what can you do for me? You know, if you, once you, you can't do nothing for me, then they're just going to stop talking to you. Yeah. You know, and every, everyone's different, but most part, like I said, most of them it sounds crazy. They just want a friend. They don't want to talk about murders and crimes and the brain. They just hey, how the how's the sport teams doing? How's this? How's that? What's going on in your prison? Oh, so and so is getting loud, playing the music loud in the cell over here. They want to vent a little bit or something, but some just want a friend or talk. Call me on the phone. You know, because you don't get, say, San Quentin's on the phone. A lot of it comes out of Texas, no matter what facility is. Mm. My communication center is over here. So you never know. You just know it's a facility. You don't know who's going to be on the phone until they say, hey, it's me, it's me. Like, okay, cool. Uh, But, yeah, just wanted somebody to talk to as a friend. And I said, hopefully, in my part, yes, it's cool. I mean, that warped side of me still likes, you know, hey, I I just talked to BTK. I just talked to this. But in reality, I'm just trying to do my part, I guess you could say. You know, and and how are we going to heal these people? What can we learn about psychopathy? What can we learn about a criminal mind? Um, how can we heal them? Can we heal them? Can't we heal them? Um, how we can prevent this from being in the mother's womb? What can we tell the mother before your kid turn out to be a psychopath, you know, or, you know, a violent offender, wisdom into that. So, yeah, that's kind of what the new project is going to be about. And maybe I'll come on again once the new book's out and we'll talk about that one. We'd love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're rock stars, but just pe- some people aren't fans of their music, but they're like, rock stars they're like you know what i mean like they'll be around forever like they're yeah. they've they've 
they've carved out their, you know, for better or worse, they've carved out their existence in the world and like pop culture and everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keith, this was a fantastic episode. This was a lot of yeah. fun, man. Thank you. We definitely want to have you back on. Um, sure, anytime. You want to tell the folk when the new book comes out, we'll have you back on. You want to tell some folks about where they can uh, get your get the book. I know it's on Amazon. Uh, yeah, uh, like follow you. Yeah, Syracuse and Heaven, Victims in Hell. Um, Amazon's the best place. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> paperback, Kindle form. I even did an audio version. I brought an actor in to do some audio version of it. So now the podcast generation must be able to put the pods on in the ear and can listen that way too. Again, it's a great book, I think. Um, again, it's it's from a Christian standpoint, examining people who think you know or claim to be a Christian, and, and most of them are when you read the book. Um, again, it's not a preacher book. It's not saying you know you're going to hell if you don't find. I give the foundation of what Christianity is, but really look at the lives of some pretty famous people. There's some horrible things in my personal relationship with them. And, um, and I said, it's amazing. More the true crime community <laughs> or yeah. than the Christian community. So I said, it's not too crazy. So I think even people who aren't remotely religious, you know, they still want to hear about the cruise time stuff. And then we do a little bit of the, some murders and stuff. We'll go down that road a little bit, but I try to keep it a little bit more on the, on the positive aspect of it, but doing well. So I think, uh, Hopefully it keeps doing well. And I uh, will wait for the next one to come out. Hopefully uh, by the end of the year, you know, it should be out for sure. I'm looking forward to it. I really like this book a lot. You know what I mean? Like no, it's, I appreciate a, it. it's not preachy. You know what I mean? It, it's it's mm-hmm. got for the, for, for true crime fans that has the crimes in there for people. I mean, it's even got, it's got a self-help vibe to it. I feel too, where it's like, you kind of look at these people that don't know how to channel their aggression and anger. And then you have, you know, the scriptures and stuff like that tied in there to kind of, it kind of explains things, breaks things down a little bit sure. for people. So I think that, you know, yeah, there's a lot to get out of the book. You know, you are doing, you're doing God's work over there. You're doing good things. I see the positivity in what you're doing and keep up the good work, man. Oh, I appreciate you know? it. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate it. Hell yeah. yeah thank you again. I appreciate it. having me on. Absolutely. Guys, we'll have you on again, man. Have a good night over there. You too, guys. Take care. All right, take take care. care. Talk soon. Bye. <laughs> That was a super interesting episode of the Boombastic cast with everybody today. Uh, Keith, again, thank you for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, very interesting stuff. We delve into some deep stuff. I let the world know about my, my dark secrets of fascination with serial killers. And Alexander Hawk just looked into the screen and masturbated like Richard Ramirez the entire time. Foaming at the mouth. Yeah, yeah. Tell them my deep dark secrets. You are a deep dark secret, you filthy fucking animal. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing, the thing is, it was really interesting. I didn't say a lot because it was. I mean, it was interesting. uh, You know what he was going in the whole point he was going for that the fact that you have these people that have done horrendous things. Is there a chance for rehabilitation? Is there a chance to actually? You know, help these people and try to get something good out of what this. I mean, I I mean, there's no person who ends up becoming like a serial killer or and or or a murderer because they came from a good household or a good life, and and they, you know, a lot of these people were, you know, hurt, and uh, it does not uh, negate what they did. Right. And they should definitely be held accountable for what they did. But the question is, can we try to make these people and, and, and learn from these people and try to help other people so this doesn't help happen again? I think is the basic overview of 
what uh, what uh, the the book's about and uh, what the, all this this interview was about. It was good times. You know, we'll have Keith back on the show again when the next book comes out, and I think we get a long friendship. We're gonna have a long correspondence with Keith. And I uh, go back and forth and, uh, you know, good man. You know what I mean? A pleasure, a good guest. And uh, we hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, you've been watching the Boombastic cast, which is the show on the Boombastic Media Network. If you like this show, check out the other shows. If you like this episode, check out more episodes. All right. Check it, check, check one, two. And we'll catch you all on the next episode of the Boombastic cast. Peace. Peace.